everybody. Welcome back to The Billy Club, the show where we take a look at the adventures of Marvel's Crimson Crusader, month after month, starting with his first appearance back in the 1960s. I'm Nico, and you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And I'm Tori Sheehan. You can find me on Twitter at Tori underscore Sheehan and on Instagram at SMTori. That's Tori with an I. You can also catch us at The Billy Club Pod on all your socials. Absolutely. And I feel like when you talk about Daredevil, it's hard not to talk about the overwhelming reliance on tropes applied to blind or unsighted people or people with extreme disabilities. I myself am legally blind and uh, require like a lot of corrective eyewear and stuff. So like I have always kind of understood the nature of the blind story elements that they've incorporated into Daredevil over the years. I don't personally have that kind of experience. Like I know I'm not an, I'm not a blind person. I don't go through that. So when I I look at Daredevil, I'm always watching it really carefully like, hey, you know what? I don't go there. So neither should you. And this issue tests my I don't go there. That, uh, this one, like, we just finished in the last issue, which technically is two months ago for readers at the time, that Karen's running away crying because Matt screamed, I can't do that. I can't do the the eye surgery thing. And now, like, you look at this cover and it's just like, that he may see, blah, blah, blah. And you're just like, oh, I guess that's gonna resolve really fucking fast. I thought this cover was such a great pattern pastiche of the time. It has all of those elements of like a John Wayne movie poster. It's got that very spaghetti Western kind of vibe. I could also see this being a re-release cover for Camelot or, you know, any one of those big War of the Roses type medieval fantasies, you know, Game of Thrones without the incest or the boobies. Mm -hmm. So I, but then why? Why? If you're going to leave out the incest and the boobies. So. I mean, you got to be historically accurate. You got to be historically accurate. But I don't think there is anything scientifically accurate about anything that happens in this issue. We are, of course, here to talk about Daredevil number nine, that he may see, which is the most dramatic title. I mean, only only dealing with the murderous menace of the killer's castle, which in fairness, like, it makes it seem like the castle is, like, also a problem, but it, there's just robot guards. It's not like the castle itself, like, starts to attack you, which would have been awesome. Yeah. Super awesome. And but... it's sort of built in. It's like an electronic castle. It's like right. ready to go zip zap at you at any moment. Yeah. And so then why doesn't it? Yeah, Where you at castle? Have, we could have rose read it all over this thing. So I need to ask you a couple of questions. I love we questions. Get in. Mm-hmm. I love talking about this with you. I feel like one of the things that we've discussed is our love of format because like I'm going to segue a little bit for a second but I'm going to go to our strong place. When I say to people oh I write musicals. One of the things they say to me is like oh that's cute. And I'm like where did you go for music? Did you immediately go to like Rogers and Hammerstein when I say I'm an opera, you know, an operettist and people are like, automatically I'm thinking Puccini and I'm like, you should be thinking electronic dance music. And when I say musical, I think of horror musicals like Sweeney Todd. I think of satiric musicals like Curtains. I think of classic form updates like Phantom of the Opera. I think of challenging reimaginings of genre like the recent Oklahoma revival. When I think 
of musicals, you can't get me to think of one genre. Why do people try to say superhero books are one genre? Um, because they all look the same. Okay. <laughs> you know, like I, I've, I, I, as someone who did not grow up within the superhero comics world and therefore like doesn't have as much uh, attachment to like how things are done and how things are different. Like to me, it was always just a bunch of men in their little costumes. Some are red, some are green, some are blue. And then they have their secret identity where they're very rich and they have their very cool penthouse and their hot ladies or they're very not rich, but somehow still manage to keep the lights on for some reason, even though they don't have a job. Magic. And sometimes there is no secret identity. They're just like from another planet. So they just like live like this forever. And like they're a walking like quasi freak show when they're amongst normal people. And so like it all kind of feels the same if you don't know like all the layers of like this one was a romance one this one was a detective one this one was a pastiche about colonialism uh, whatever so I, I get it and I think that's also because like I also grew up in the 90s so like for many of us it was like the hail halcyon days of DC in the mainstream media like Marvel wasn't as big of a deal at the oh, time Spider-Man sure. was but that's about it and I think that it's a lot easier to just be like DC sort of all the same it's Batman it's Superman and you might be able to name one other one and Wonder Woman like, of the Flash yeah. yeah 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 and so like that's sort of just where we all lived and I think that also I, I think it's also the fault of the people who were creating the media because it was very much just like a you gotta beat the bad guy you gotta have the hot girl like they were building James Bond in types kind of so you know it's such a important distinction to me that we recognize that like that these books can be different and like you know hearing that your experience as somebody outside of the sphere was such that you didn't know this wealth existed you know it's really easy for me to see how people would boil down all of superhero comics into one thing but here we are sitting at the ninth issue of daredevil and i think we're going in for our third or fourth genre yeah yeah this is this is this made me feel like they were taking on like the dracula mythos without any of the vampires that, yeah. like that idea that they used to do in the Victorian times where they were like, let's write books where the mysterious, handsome, rich man is actually the worst thing to ever happen to you. So you ladies don't get any ideas about talking smack to your dad and running off into the countryside to find some dude on your own. Yeah. And but speaking like, okay, well, that's an important thing that I don't think enough people might realize that like a lot of horror tropes are really tropes about other things. Aliens are meant to be frequently, you know, xenophobia, uh, werewolves make you gay, essentially. Vampires are lascivious, creepy older men. And honestly... Robots like, are minorities. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> like, vampires also get that Eastern European kind of thing, you know, that very Romani people kind of vibe where we have culturally treated everybody with a vague Eastern European accent as, you know, creepy and crawly. And like, that's crazy that we do that as a culture with our media but more than that this guy's just a doom stand and it makes me realize how much 60s doom is just an offensive trope yeah this is this is very much the 60s in so many ways they name it licked and bad like they they come in really hard with like the beginning of the cold war vibes naming him klaus kruger like it's all very like it, it is very much like fi 
like, you know, the first couple of James Bond things where everyone is vaguely like Cold War Russian, Estonia, whatever. I I I was unimpressed with the villain in this one. Yeah. I was very interested in how the ending played out. Yeah. I mean, it really does kind of come off like a trauma films version of Doom. He's just, he also doesn't look like he could possibly have gone to school with Matt and Foggy. I know Matt looks 10 years younger than Foggy. This guy looks seven years older than Foggy. I don't see how these three all went to school together. I don't, we're getting ahead of ourselves. We are. We so are. Let's, let's talk. Let's about, talk for a second about the about, book. About a boat hijack. So, and it's not even a big boat. No, but we kick things off written by Stan Lee mm-hmm. with layouts by Wally Wood. And, layouts and delineation. Yeah, I really think that that shines through in this issue. Uh, and there is certainly nothing against the bouncy Bob Powell, who, mm-hmm. you know, Bobby Powell, thank you for coming in and keeping what looks like a Wally Wood book going. Mm-hmm. But I... And hey, Sammy Rosen. Hey, Sammy Rosen. You doing your letters, man. You keeping it going. <laughs> but I genuinely am you can see this one isn't Wally it just doesn't look as good it doesn't and there was a part of me that was wondering if it was because we don't have the psychedelic 60s NYC behind it that it's all Mm. very dull boring gray other country and like on the other on the one hand it makes Daredevil super red and super like interesting like your eyes immediately following you through all the things but it does make it a little like from what we're we've been used to which where we've been talking about like oh this is so psychedelic it's so bright it's so crazy and then we get to like more realistic and we're like i mean it's fine yeah the the big thing that i want to point out and like i don't want to sound like an idiot for a second but like if you've ever driven into the bronx from jersey and you've taken the helix you know exactly what i'm about to talk about that is straight up the support under the helix Mm -hmm. like that is straight up i'm i'm going to Van Cortlandt Park for the afternoon. Like that is 2000% the right color and the right positioning. Yep. I feel like I need to lock my doors as I'm driving. This is a thousand percent driving to see my family in the Bronx. And I don't know how they got it so right for like a giant splash page, but yeah, that's pretty. Um, but he must live there is my guess. But like, but like also like he gets shot and then he falls in the, honestly pick one, the Hudson or the East, not they were particularly clean at the time like it is a shock that he doesn't get sepsis from this like no i mean he is literally going into shock the rest of daredevil is a fever dream <laughs> it could be it really could be at this it point could be <laughs> these like rando gangsters and he's like oh thank god i got shot the coast guard's here and i'm just like are you okay buddy like, so i need to go there with you because something yes. that we've talked about a lot daredevil does his best work injured and is this our first ow this is this is our first our like first, owie this is like our first like major like oh god I got clipped by something and now I'm a little broken yeah like normally he either gets until now he's been knocked out and then he wakes up later or he's like fine but tired <laughs> yeah he's he like, just did too much lawyering and billy clubbing <laughs> but like this is the first time where it's like my arm yikes um which is like it's so hot <laughs> sorry no I mean <laughs> I get real it good like holding his arm that like, pose oh, oh my god that one oh. that one very sexual pose Oh my but god. I do feel the rest of the images look a little color formed in. Mm-hmm. Like Daredevil does not look like he was necessarily drawn into some of these sequences exactly. Perhaps Wally Wood did a little bit more work on the Matt 
figure and left Bobby Powell to do a little bit more of the backgrounding. Uh, but that one panel of Matt with the, you know, what I have to assume is a color serpent error lettering mm. where the white letters came out yellow. So I think it's just color serpenting. Mm -hmm. uh, that one is really sexy, but then for a while it gets kind of, it gets kind of like the book finally had a sense of identity. You know, when you love a TV show, like a sitcom, and then it's got that rhythm and it's feeling really good. And then you get to what is clearly either by production code or story idea, a holdover and you feel it and it's wrong and you can just tell that's sort of what the art does here yeah yeah it's it's I, I don't know if maybe that the the verbosity that we get which is a little more than usual and a very gumshoe kind of conversation which I mean it's the 60s they all sound like this but this is like mega extra this is Stanley being like how many fucking jokes can I pound into this as fast as possible and you have to wonder if it's like sort of to be like so that we have less to draw maybe kind of oh, deal i do really think there are a number of situations throughout this book where they manipulate the way the panels are set up to really eliminate anything but the main figures in the panel it it was really hard not to notice especially in the castle where it's a castle mm -hmm. you could do some dim lighting but there's no backgrounds none 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 so um i also in Enjoy. I always love a good shirtless Matt Murdock moment. You know, I love how he keeps on his glasses even when he's alone. I really do think nobody knows what Matt looks like yet. <laughs> I would believe it. I would believe it because if you don't need to design his eyes and have another design element to copy, why do it? Yeah. Why bother? Why bother? Got to keep the jaw, jaw square, the uh, the glasses round. He looks great. He yeah. looks great. And then we move into the romance plot again. Um, um, <sighs> it is so slow. It's so slow. I will say calling this country Lichtenbad is hilarious because Lichtenstein is already a very, very tiny country. And then to yeah. be like, yes, but what about Lichtenbad? Do you know what Lichtenstein is most famous for? The, there's one dude, right? Dentures. They produce like 70% of the world's dentures. Super into teeth. One teeth. factory complex in Italy re is uh, responsible for like 80% of the world's sunglasses. I believe that. Those fashion fucks. Those fashion fucks. Um, Matt, Matt keeps them all wealthy. Honestly, he does. He does. He does. Um, Dr. Van Eyck in Lichtenbad. He left America. So now maybe she'll drop the subject, you know, but she's got a surprise. And oh, don't we all just love surprises? If only we could stay this way forever, arm in arm. Oh my goodness. Can I, she, can I believe that she's maybe in love? No, I can't. She's not in love. I won't even think the word. And then they like show up and Foggy. Why is Foggy playing golf? Like this is, this is a weird tight gag when you're trying to like not do your art is it because and this is something that i'm not trying to be mean over is it they're having him do something matt can't do is it all just like a, a visual joke of like he has to pretend he can't see foggy foggy has to pretend like matt has to has to say like oh just fixing some stuff i hope he doesn't see me golfing like what like you're also like golfing in front of karen like so then karen's just okay with you lying to matt about about work 
it's ableist jokes never land they never landed this just makes everybody involved seem like a piece of shit except matt who actually maybe a little bit because matt knows they're doing it because matt's not really an unsighted person because that's the thing is that he knows what's going on and he continues to hide himself from them and pulling like this long con betrayal it'd be so much funnier if he just kicked the golf ball and was like oops <laughs> and he makes the hole in one yeah exactly there's ways to do it that don't feel like an ableist mockery right. of a blind person's daily experience like by having him stumble and kick the golf ball uh hole in one style it would be like oh shit he totally let them know he's got this yeah but instead we just sort of get a putsy foggy and a sort of helpless matt and karen pushes my limits here for him to see i just wanted to see again for his sake and i'm like honey his blindness makes him so cold so distant that it doesn't matter to me bitch it matters to you you won't shut the fuck up about it girl that's not his blindness that's his catholicism <laughs> Which also, like, I would think she would have a serious problem with. because You would oh my think God. this, this, you would think. <laughs> but and maybe she's just super into Kennedy's. I mean, who isn't? RFK, I think, is still alive at this point. Like, get on down. So um. the other thing I think about this is not to hyper-personalize it, but growing up, I certainly had my share of people who have tried to fix me for whatever thing that's wrong with, whether it was a well-intentioned person who was like, hey, but wouldn't you just be happy or straight? Or, you know, whether it was somebody being like, but have you tried not to have anxiety disorder? Like, just don't get worked up. Have you, uh, I think my favorite was why don't you change everything you've ever worn in your life and dress like someone and maybe they won't bully you and it got so much worse. So much worse. Yeah. Wear makeup to school as an 11 year old. I feel like Karen here is literally a bully. And I understand it's from a perspective where she is a figure with no power, mm -hmm. but she's somehow kind of powerlessly bullying Matt. She's like negging him. Mm -hmm. But like, she's, you know, when I think of negging, I think of angry neckbeard. This is my incel channel. But like, she's clearly not an angry neckbeard with an incel channel. She is a strong, confident woman for her era, trying to do well by herself and her friends and her family. And they just write her like she has one goal in life. And that is to vilify the blind. It's, it's so, it's, it feels like she has like Florence Nightingale syndrome. Mm. combined with like the opposite of Munchausen's by proxy where she's like I have to fix you so that everybody knows that it was due to me that you that you are able to be all you are and I'm your savior now and you will be attached to me because of it like you will see what I have done for you she's the acolyte who tries to convince the god that they that see. they owe me I know there's a lot of that we're gonna get into like a lot of that it's a lot. like he will see me he will see me and I'm 
just like, if you think that it's like the opposite of Ursula, you, he can't see your looks. He can't see your pretty face. All you've got is your voice and you're not fucking pulling this off. Come on, honey. No. And speaking of not pulling this off, I don't know that I recognize this Karen from last issue visually. She is back to a 1950s hairdo that is not correct for where she's coming. And then this guy comes in looking real 1950s monster movie. I'm thinking like 1940s. Oh, like 1940s European. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. There's a real sense of this issue is, you know, when when a when Marvel does a book like this now, Mm -hmm. it's like someone coming in doing an old timey war comic. You know, it's Garth Ennis doing something that doesn't involve beating on Daredevil like that ever happened. But you know, I find myself furious with that this issue has some sort of weird long standing in in fandom. Uh, I just don't think it's a great issue. And like, I'm not being hard on it angrily. I'm being hard on it constructively. It is number one, really problematic, both for xenophobia and ableism, misogyny. It is problematic on like a dozen levels. And there's still something yet that is a, look, I know I already called it xenophobia, but there's also an element throughout this story of revolutions are only violent topplings of regimes. Like, it's not just that foreigners are bad, which they are according to this. It's that foreigners are also bad at each other. Mm -hmm. And there is this sense of American determinism of the state of the world that runs rampant through this books with an almost McCarthy level vitriol that I just don't like being in this issue of Daredevil. No, I do not. I do not enjoy where we're going to be taking this and the the fact that not only is it that all revolutionaries are violent but they also need a white guy from America to lead them to to, to success. Who's never been there. That's my never first fucking thing. So he notices right away from the helicopter that it's a Walden city. Mm-hmm. How does he not feel the electricity crackling? Can't even. Number one. He's Number busy. two. He's busy. He's busy. <laughs> He's busy being in a helicopter getting the five star treatment. So then I, I love that the doctor is like look maybe I can fix you the x-rays might be ready tomorrow but that daredevil is so quickly ready to run around this country is something I find challenging it's not just that when spider-man and daredevil first take to the skies of Manhattan they're learning to be superheroes they're learning the terrain they're learning how far to gauge a jump Mm -hmm. they're learning the air pressure and the altitude and that's actually something that I'm pretty sure daredevil talks about when they move to California that he's like, I don't know these rooftops. Mm -hmm. And I don't like that this is Daredevil at like peak fighting form in a foreign city after a bunch of travel, after a bunch of sight tests, after getting shot. Like this feels to me like it is not a Daredevil story. And the the sight thing has nothing to do with anything. It could have been Donald Blake in his bum leg. It could have been Doctor Strange in his fucked up hands. It could have been Xavier in the wheelchair. There is no one that this couldn't have been. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just feel like I feel I feel like we like we talked about in the last Stilt Man that it had a great twist. Like yeah. the the obviously evil one isn't the evil one. Right. And this one they're just like, no, it is. It it's is. It's not. <laughs> Even when it is, it's not. 
<laughs> yeah. And you're just like, oh, this is really what we're doing now. And I think like for me, it it just, it's sort of like, all right, we're just going to go through the numbers on this one. But what does make it interesting is underneath all of the really dumb dialogue and all of the ableism and whatever, we have a lot of really interesting things about fear and sight and yes. things for Daredevil. Because like one of the things about Daredevil is the idea of like, if he could see, he wouldn't be so daring. And oh, you're making a face. Is that not that? That's true, right? I'm not crazy. Oh, it's Have totally it? okay. true. It's right, just okay. the dumbest goddamn thing. <laughs> Like, I'm still, I still love the fact that he's stuck on if I gave my sight, I lose my super senses. Like, the idea of, like, how ironic that Daredevil, the man without fear, is mortally afraid of ever regaining his sight. And I'm like, Matt, you are making a mountain out of a molehill. Like, we don't know. And also, like, you, like, outside of the fact that he has these senses that help him despite his, lack because he can't see, he has still, like, enough abilities otherwise. The, the, the radiation didn't make him super strong or super fast or whatever like he is trained he is smart like he has a lot going for him he, he built that electronics lab yeah he could still do plenty of superheroing even if like he lost his super senses he would figure it out he would adapt i agree that's why i was making those faces because like it truly bothers me that there is this sense of if he regained his sight it, like we even see elements of this years and years and years later in the pages of spider girl actually uh it's a parallel story that we're covering over in the Exes for podcast universe dropping on mondays where we're taking a look at the complete 225 issue aged in real time from the 1960s late 90s mc2 universe so the characters have all aged in real time so it's about 16 year old spider girl the daughter of spider-man and mary jane and it's about characters like that and there's an issue from 2003 where spider girl is fighting Doc Ock and she knows she'll never beat her if she's looking for where she's sending the arms. So Spider-Girl, having been trained to do this by Elektra, puts on a bandana over her mask eyes and fights Doc Ock blindfolded. Because if she can see, she'll be afraid. But if she moves by intuition, she can't be stopped. And that's something Elektra taught her. I just... It, it it is it is an interesting metaphor. No, but it's <laughs> but it's a terrible terrible like action to put down. Like it's it is so infuriating. Yeah, and we'll get into it more. But first off, we need to watch Foggy see Matt and Karen snuggle at the airport, pull a reverse Casablanca, where the girl and the guy she's not really in love with, but is gonna stay with anyway, stay behind, and the hot guy she's in love with goes away. Like, as, as it's just like, and this is the point where Foggy also gets very like, fuck Matt, fuck Matt, which is so fascinating because for so long he's been so into Matt, he's been so cuck to Matt and like but also a little bit like if you got us both drunk like maybe I maybe yes yes yeah there has been definitely a sense of I could uh I could do a little college handy jays right but like yeah he's so fucking mad about Matt because here's where foggy this is a different foggy I don't know Mm. 
we've thought Foggy's kind of annoying, but this is fucking louse Foggy. This he's is... lying to his blind best friend. He's punching a mirror till it breaks. Like, what the fuck? He's hoping his best friend doesn't come back so he can get the girl. And then he's like, oof, probably shouldn't say that. And then he's like, yeah, but it'd be better if he wasn't here. And I'm just like, buddy, he's so, he's like, I, I, I have never felt that Foggy Nelson is as good of a lawyer as Matt Murdock. And I understand that it's because we're always looking at Matt Murdock. We very rarely look at Foggy Nelson. I'm sure Foggy Nelson's the one who actually keeps the lights on by getting like normal cases, which makes him a good lawyer. Yeah, absolutely. But something tells me he would not have renown without Matt Murdock. So what the fuck do you think you're playing at, bro? I completely agree. And you know, throughout the years, we see only Foggy could try this case. We do see Foggy's competence. There is like, there's that moment in just like, because I'm sorry, it's close enough to canon. The TV show, there's that moment where Marcy basically says, Foggy Bear, when you lay it down like that, it is so hot. And like, yes, when Foggy gets it right and he's charming and charismatic because he believes in the little guy, it gets Mm -hmm. caught in my throat. And like, that's my Foggy. And like, that's my Foggy. And this guy is an abuser and he is a user and he is a mean man. And I don't like him. This is a Foggy who I do not believe would go into a private practice for the little guy. Agreed. Agreed a thousand percent. This is 100% a Foggy who goes into a private practice so he doesn't have to listen to a boss and so he can dick around with his best bud all the time and maybe someday make district attorney. I was about to say, this is the Foggy that becomes DA someday. This is the louse Foggy that we don't like up until like 100 and then we don't like again throughout the mid 100s. I don't love Foggy till Born Again. He's... And it's so interesting because like, we'll get to the ending, but like Foggy goes from being like the hapless sidekick to kind of a problem. Yeah, a manic problem, like actually. And like, not even like a problem where everyone who's watching is like, that's a problem. Like where I'm actually like, you have, there is a fox in your hen house. Yes. Like, mm -mm, no, no. There's another universe where Foggy is the bad guy. It 100% is, especially, especially that. Um, In the meantime, someone wanders around saying he's got a bulletproof vest, but it's really just chain mail. Yeah, the second he walks off the plane, the Klaus von Bueller or whatever storyline that, you know, future Klaus Jansen over here is like, I'm the dictator of this country. I am a doom stand-in. Things are bad for my people. I have this eye doctor. There's something very soap opera plot about a lot of what goes on here and it moves so quickly and it's so background. And his police, like his main police, police dude has like a Hitler mustache. These are the only human, I guess the police are human and the palace guards are robots. I guess. Because like, I was so like, oh yeah, this assassination attempt. Like I didn't really look at them. And now that I'm looking at them, I'm like, no, these are humans we've got right here. So like, what is up with that? And then like, he's like, I sense every, he's like, I sense all this fear. I sense all of this like weird, like rage and like, 
like, and then he's just like, and then he's like, okay, let me go meet the eye doctor. And I'm like, do you realize you've been kidnapped? Like, do you realize you've you're about kidnapped. to put yourself on an operating table? Like, and also, sorry, before when Klaus shows up and everyone's like, let's get him this eye thing. I was like, this is an intervention for blindness. And yes. I'm not, I was like, I was like, this is wild. I, I don't even, I can't even, how could you call these people friends? You can't. Like you the can't. only, the only reason that he kind of sort of sticks with them is that he somehow has internalized this idea that he should be trying to fix himself but he has this sin inside of him that's like but I really want to be punching people and like it's I know that we don't get into Jack Jack Murdoch very much in these once we pass like the origin first episode but like the idea of like what his dad would want is for him to go get the operation to be able to yes. see again to marry the nice girl to have a good law degree to quit and to do all that what his dad doesn't want him to do is be punching people at night in a red costume like he did yep and so like he's sitting there knowing that that's what he should want but knowing that he really wants something else and so like that's the only way that i can imagine that he can keep these people as his friends when they are not thinking of him and taking his like thoughts into consideration i think there's also an element of judge not lest ye be judged he knows that by determinants of being daredevil he's automatically keeping lies so it's fine to be with people who are a little lesser because of the lies. Also, like the fact that this is the only, like the best eye doctor or like the only eye surgeon. I'm like, really? The only one? And he's in Iowa or Bumblefuck Nowhereville instead of like in New York making billions of dollars next to Doctor Strange. Are you fucking kidding me? And, you know, I understand that Lichtenbad is wealthy because their leader is wealthy, but it's hard to believe that they have access to all of the technology, all of the medication, everything. It has to be flown in. And yeah, it can be done, but we're talking about just like there's so many suspensions of disbelief. There was an easier way to tell this story all said and done. Yeah, yeah. So I do admit they're doing a very good job of making sure that he's never swinging by his bad arm, which okay. I appreciate. I do appreciate that. But I also think this is the dumbest thing that Matt could have done for his secret identity. There is one new guy in town and then daredevil shows up and no and no one goes huh that's weird yeah, maybe he came in on the helicopter in general maybe he just like snuck on the helicopter like that like maybe he pim particles himself down and came in in somebody's pocket like i don't know how people can possibly make these like exceptions and then when he moves to san diego or san francisco I can't believe i just said that when he moves to san francisco and he's out in california and all of a sudden daredevil's out in california i mean it really makes you realize that like at this time period the police departments aren't talking to each other like that's why so many serial killers like got away with shit because even like from town to town they would not talk to each other and so like they would get away with wild shit because like if I were them I'd be like huh Daredevil showed up here and he used to be over there let's check the flight records of the past six weeks of who came from New York and has stayed <laughs> yeah well and I have to give it up to Stan because Stanley, you managed to work in lines of dialogue that make things that I hate plausible. Yeah. You make how much I hate things plausible. Yep. When he says, I don't even need to unmask you. It doesn't matter. You're nobody to me. I'm like, yeah, I guess that's a thing that would occur. Sure. If you're crazy enough or like, you must be the head of the revolution. We don't know who you are. So you must be costumed. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, 
I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, all right, Stan, I get it. You know, but I think it's sort of weird, the order of stuff. This maybe does seem like a Marvel method kind of situation. I probably would have preferred all of the eye doctor stuff up front and then all of the adventure stuff, not eye doctor adventure, eye doctor adventure. And then all of a sudden there's a nuke and I'm just, there's just a little too much. It's not a bad issue, but no. it's definitely one of the weaker of our 10 episodes so far. It just it's, clunks. It clunks. It's also like, like the fact that you would have a sea, a sea, <laughs> a saltwater moat to keep your sharks because that wouldn't leach into your soil at all. Yeah. There's nothing about this that makes a whole lot of sense. And I was really confused when all of a sudden there was a nuclear plot. I was really thrown off by this ploy. It feels very like, so you've got the world's greatest eye doctor. I hope your knees never give out. I hope you don't need a knee doctor after you send this bomb. I hope you don't need any He'll scientists. He'll go steal one. He'll go steal one. He'll How? He's about one. to nuke the world. Well, then he doesn't need a knee doctor. But he wants to live. <laughs> no, he doesn't. He says, I'm taking you all with me. Oh, you know what? You're right. You're right. He but says, let's not... <laughs> I'm taking you all with me. <laughs> You're going to beat me. I'll take you all with me. But let's not get past this little fight here with the man on the throne, his little force field, his robots, like all of this stuff. And also, I would just like to say that, first off, they mentioned my union, which is very exciting for me, but they, yeah, use, they, it inco- they use it incorrectly because Actors' oh. Equity does not include circus performances. We are scripted performance only. Um, but then, like, first off, these fucking prisoners. But secondly, they're like, guard, guard. And the guard comes in and then he chokes a robot. I yes, don't think does. the artist knew that these were robots. I have to agree. There's a lot of decisions made in this art. And then like, uh, or like he put like, like Wally didn't know that they were, that they were robots. And then when uh, Bobby came in, he was like, oh, they're robots, but I can't completely change the way that Daredevil is holding him. So I'll just add in some wires on their elbows so that you know that they're robots. And I'm just like, woof. But Maybe- like, they decided that it was too violent and so roboting it instead of blooding it i don't know but like and it would make sense then why like the police are human and then the 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 robots are robots but like also like this is the point where i was like they are using dialogue to cover up art oh for sure there is no reason for this rando prisoner to be negging our hero this whole time yeah there was also some stuff in the first fight where it was really clear that they they were just covering hands and they were just like covering faces and stuff so that nothing mattered. Yeah. And then Daredevil uses his butt to knock out a couple of couple of robots. Like a and good then... bottom. <laughs> and then he like changes back into his suit to convince the eye doctor to leave. But the eye doctor's weird. already the eye doctor's already on it. Yeah. The eye well, like, yeah, because he's like, I I don't I don't get it. Like you either think the doctor's in on it, in which point you should be in your daredevil suit. Or you think he's not in on it. And him following a blind guy is not going to help. So... This really feels like they found a drawer issue and they just slotted Daredevil into it. The amount of Foggy and Karen that are actually in it is down to like two pages. Really, really, three really pages. Is. But the amount of horrible they pack into Foggy in this. Oh, yeah. He's that so ended. mad. He punches. 
punches. He punches a mirror. Karen definitely looks like this is from like, this should have been an episode from like the first time that she met. I, you know, this would have fit in really nicely, like as the third or fourth one. Yep. The first time she brings it up that she would have been like, oh, the guy, let's do this. Because like, this is definitely like the, the foggy we saw in the beginning who was a little more of a louse and then got yeah. slightly better over the past, especially after he got kidnapped. Like he's gotten better. So like her hair makes sense. He makes sense. Like, and it's all terrible. It's all terrible. And then well, the worst Matt face ever, page 14. We, we finally got Matt without his sunglasses and honestly put him back on, bro. Yeah, his eyes are in a different style than the rest of the book, which is certainly hard to miss. Mm-hmm. You know, but I do love that very G.I. Joe, real American hero looking chest. I mean, yeah, he honestly, I was like, I was like, this is a Captain America, like, draw over 100%. And again, it's, oh, it's a war comic. It's, you know, this really does feel to me in a lot of ways, like at this point, we lose all backgrounds. It's just different aspects of the castle. The force perspective gets kind of strange. Everything is this blue or yellow. There's a lot of leaping at weird angles. So like on page 16, the perspective on Matt coming toward the panel, it makes it look like he's got cat legs. Mm-hmm. It feels like this, and don't get me started on how long his legs are in the panel above it. It really feels like this great art team was not given the amount of time they needed to do their work. Yeah, And that's what this is. This is a great team that really didn't get a chance to shine on a really forgettable issue. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like I just, and then we have into the denouement, which is the scientist. So he says, I have a nuke of cobalt that will sweep over the earth. I don't know if that's how cobalt works, but sure. And then the scientist is like, let me turn it off. Oh, I'm dead. From radiation, no less. From didn't radiation. become the Hulk, just died. Just died. So I guess cobalt radiation ain't where it's at. Except there is the cobalt man. Oh, fuck. Well, that's the end of that. But then Matt kills a guy. Now, I know that you said that little uh, silt man guy comes back, but this would then be, for the, for the reader at the time, he kills two dudes in a row. Yeah, he does. And that's not the Matt we think of when we think of Daredevil. I agree. Especially one who afterwards goes, uh, in death, may he find the peace that could have never be his life while he lived, perhaps better this way. And I'm just like, Matt, you've got a lot to confess this week. Really does. And that's one of the things that I think we wind up seeing happen more and more early on when they're not sure who Daredevil is and they're trying to reformat the title over and over again. We It reminds me of something we didn't care for about the first issue where he was like good die fixer yeah. saves a trial oh does it? does it lawyer man is it that is that what you believe in since when is that how we do law here daredevil i mean so, honestly though that is how we do law here just not for old white guys yeah kind of oh but real quick i almost forgot this that right before he goes to die the doctor sees matt underneath the costume he, he sees does. him because he's an eye doctor and he was like i wasn't looking at your eyes i was looking at your body well meanwhile in the <laughs> issue earlier earlier when he says the x-rays will be ready tomorrow. Oh, because tomorrow they'll be able to see through all the deception. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I just want to make a comment. You uh, said something about, you know, Klaus dies this issue. This is in fact Klaus Kruger's only ever Marvel appearance. I believe it. He's a shitty villain. Yeah. He's just a stand-in Dr. Doom. Uh, you know, what's really interesting is this issue elsewhere is credited to Bob Powell in general. Oh. So it is of note that, you know, not only is this an issue that Wally Wood is barely on, but Wally Wood does write and draw the next issue. So it's not like he's off the title. But, you know, 
there's just a lot of stuff that makes this issue feel kind of weird and maybe a little all over the place. And, you know, seeing Klaus Kruger fall to his death, I kind of would love to bring him back now just to be silly, but I do not want to see this foggy Karen shit come back. (gasps) There was no operation. He must have lost his nerve. He's not brave. I hate myself for speaking about him like this. And yet, if not for Matt, I'm sure Karen would be mine. And just like the evilest pose. He looks like an evil newsman. He really, really does. And then Karen's like looking out the window, like he'll return as he left without his sight, never daring to fall in love, never knowing how much I adore him. I'm like, bitch, don't make me bring up the gift of the genie from Aladdin that says, tell her the truth. Pretty much. The other side of it, like, do they think blind people can't get married? Wouldn't it just be easier to to, woo him? I honestly actually have to look into that because, like, we still have a lot of laws on the the books about disabled people getting married. So, like, it's possible that like he wouldn't be considered a person or like she's pretty sure that he's getting disabled i don't know enough about disabilities in the 60s outside of the fact that we used to put a lot of them away um so i'd have to look into it but it's possible that she like thinks that i think she still thinks that she would lose social clout to marry him while blind especially if she thinks that he can fix it because then it just becomes willful it becomes like someone who's like well you say that you're not an alcoholic but you won't give up drinking or you say you're not a gambler, but we keep losing money. And I don't know. I don't know. It's very difficult to tell with Karen because she's written by dudes. She's written by dudes who have no connection to her. None. None whatsoever. At, at best, they might be dealing with the fact that there's a couple of gals in the office and some of them like their mothers. That's about it. Well, you know, at this exact same time, there was a pretty big deal, kind of feminine event going on in the Marvel Universe. Mm. This same month is roughly when the wedding of the Fantastic Four in the pages of Fantastic Four annual number three takes place, which Matt is at. Wait, say that this is the wedding? And Fantastic Four annual number three, the Fantastic Four, uh, Reed and Sue get married and like all of the heroes of the Marvel Universe are there. And it's roughly this month in the comics. So right around this time, Daredevil shows up to the wedding of Sue and Reed Richards, who are at this point just affianced. Right, right, right. But does he show up as Daredevil or as Matt? You know, I'd have to double check because he's one of the characters who could show up as either. He's been their lawyer, but it's more like if, you know, Xavier showed up, he would have to show up as Xavier, not like as leader of the X-Men. So like, you know. Why? Because nobody knew Xavier was a mutant until 2001. What? They just thought that he was sympathetic? They just thought he was a kindly geneticist who was a leading expert in mutation, like Moira McTaggart. And ran a school for mutants. Yep. And then he came out on TV while possessed by his evil fetus twin sister, Cassandra Nova, the Mamundra, after she executed 16 million mutants by possessing the creator of Sentinel's nephew. I can't wait to chrono scream this one. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> it's my favorite. It's E is for extinction. It's why we're called X is for podcast. Oh. Oh, I thought it was. Okay. I thought it was like a C is for cookie. Okay. <laughs> no, it's E is for extinction. Well, because the idea is that X-Men crossovers used to be like X marks the spot. Mm. X is for extinction. So take everything you know and throw it right out the window. E is for extinction now. And it was about really confronting your expectations of a book. And you know, I'm glad that we tangented a little bit because one of the things is we're about to have our expectations of Daredevil tested over and over again for several months. (sighs) 
we have a pretty wild two-parter and then things get real wild and we're gonna go to the mighty world of kazar oh. but before that we have a two-part story edited by stan lee with art and script by wally wood with layouts by bob powell i don't know how that happens who's doing what but it's gonna happen and it's going to be a very different kind of daredevil story and we really are in the point where they just want to test everything until they figure out what works yeah they really do they really do and i think that that's for us now now that we have 400 issues to deal with like it's very interesting but at the time i i don't know how they built a fan base who is this for who is this for and aren't you alienating each genre each person who picks it up for a specific genre when next month it's totally different right or in two months yeah TBH. um because there can't be that many comics people who are like i don't care like what version i'm getting i'm just super into red tights and like a little bit of romance on the side like I, that, that can't be true. I agree. That's that funny book mentality. That's the, It's all yeah. the same kind of comic. Because yeah. like, I, I know that there's runs of heroes I don't read. When, you know, a traditionally magic kind of superhero gets real technology-based, I'd probably skip it. That's not my thing. Yeah. You know, if I want that, I'll read Iron Man. I just, I, I'm so fascinated. And this is the part that I'm just like, I would love to know like what the structure of these, of the company of Marvel was at the time. Like, did they have a marketing department? Did they have like these, no, it's really just five dudes in a studio. It's just five dudes in a studio until like 1971 or so. Okay. So then that makes a lot of sense that they had nobody from the outside really saying like, if you do this, you may fuck it up. Right. They just had their experience that it. Yeah. And so like it must have garnered enough attention for them to keep doing it. Right. So there's something about Daredevil that makes them be like, well, we're making enough money to keep it going. Because I'm sure there were plenty of, of lines that they started in 64 or 60 or 63 and then just stopped. Not a lot of titles, mm -hmm. but a lot of like major features in like Tales to Astonish who did eight issues and then never came back. Right. So like there has to be some Thing about it and i and i know that daredevil sort of speaks to them in a way that is similar to spider-man but more adult because i know that stan lee as much as he resonates with spider-man doesn't get the teenage part of it not really so there has to be that feeling where like daredevil is everything that spider-man is but for us who are 25 to 30 kind of well, no i'm with you completely it's like a more age appropriate coming of age book mm -hmm. because in so many ways that's who matt is he's coming of age he's figuring out how not just to be a superhero but how to be this superhero at this point in his life and that's i think why there's so much does it or doesn't it work why there's so many going back and forth i know i'm excited for what's coming i know that i really enjoyed that last issue but you know this one not so much uh the next few are maybe a little bit tough but you know we're really getting through the worst of it for sure oh yeah yeah yeah. and i think i think everyone's aware that there's a reason why many are pe many people are told don't start in the 60s that like it's not worth it and i think that it's a shame because you do miss out on some gems but there are other times where you're like no i see why because who does this improve the experience for yeah who is made better by reading a book that's kind of racist kind of ableist kind of misogynistic who is it improving the reading experience for exactly and the answer is kind of nobody. And to be honest, it's going to get so much worse.
Hey everybody, welcome back to the Billy Club, the show where we take a look at Marvel's Crimson Crusader and his many adventures starting back in the 60s up through today. I'm Nico, and you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And I'm Tori Sheehan. You can find me on Twitter at Tori underscore Sheehan and at Instagram at SMTori. That's Tori with an I. You can also find this wonderful podcast at the Billy Club pod on all your socials. And we are here to talk about an unbelievable issue that I will set of issues that it's always hard to talk about these two because they are like both startlingly startlingly stupid and fantastically fun at the same time and I kind of feel like that's Daredevil du jour for the 1960s and man Daredevil's 10 and 11 Tori woof this is like peak where things people make fun of Daredevil for and also like some pretty decent like important plot points that will hit continue to come back to. Oh yeah, absolutely. And mm -hmm. it's of note that this two-part story actually has an unusual distinction. While this two-part story has a first issue edited by none other than Stan Lee, the actual issue itself is written and has art layouts by none other than Wally Wood. We would also get additional layouts from Bob Powell and we would get letters from Artie Sinek. From there, the second issue falls a little bit more in line with the standard with Stan Lee taking a little bit more of a, a lead role and it even promises a new artist for the next issue I don't know why anyone would want that when Wally Wood was on the previous issue but we are in a funny place for Daredevil because I do feel like we are on a slippery slope of it's getting easier to make fun of him yeah yeah he's becoming less um like uh like um omni powerful and more yeah. just like a guy and while i enjoy that because i love the he's just a guy part of mythology um it's a little unfortunate that it's happening this quickly because it it really does make me wonder with every time they genre switch or every time they do these kinds of things if they really thought that this was the way they could keep going for another 300 issues. That's my question as well. Something that a lot of characters wind up having pretty early on is a sense of a consistent rogues gallery. You know, for Batman, a lot of Batman's enemies are also either some sort of hyper-exaggerated thing. You know, Batman is a man that is a bat. And then there's also the Penguin, who is a man that is a penguin. And then there's the Joker, who is a man that is a clown. And you get a lot of these layers that relate back to the sort of standard of who Batman is. And you sort of get the same thing with Spider-Man. A lot of Spider-Man's villains and rogues are either animals or elementals. Daredevil winds up taking a bunch of other people's bad guys. You know, and even thinking about it, Fantastic Four has a lot of not quite human, whether it's Doctor Doom or the Mole Man. There's this sense of a little bit off from the framework. And and Daredevil just sort of gets whoever's available for the issue. And I don't know that anywhere so much as while the city sleeps, giving us Frogman, Birdman, Apeman, and Catman, and not even the cool DC Catman. <laughs> On the heels of Stiltman, this is getting tough. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 not the best version of of like villainy naming 
thing. Even the organizer has that feel of like the fixer. And you're just like, oh, guys, guys, we need better names. Yeah, especially because the organizer leads the organization and it's actually not an organization. You know, when you think about the word organized, right, there's like a chain of command. And here it's just sort of like organizer, animal people, Yeah, organizer, animal people. Yep. That's not an organization. That's kind of like a everybody join my I'm such a cool guy club. Yeah. And I don't think it has the same effect. No, it does not. It does not. Wilson Fisk would be laughing. Yeah, I And agree. also Wilson probably Fisk murdering all of them. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I feel like Wilson would let them take over some really lame dock somewhere that nobody's looking out for. Right. Like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, they're going to take over the wheel hawking dock or something <laughs> and he's gonna be like no i'm going to come and take away hawking now and you know he would just because that's sort of the thing that we get to from the kingpin later on a lot of these for lack of a better term dumber little villains would be absorbed by the king so yeah. even if we got an organizer story at issue 212 it would be an organizer story that also had some kingpin elements and i feel like that trade-off where you know somebody is watching organizer for kingpin and relaying it back to him at the end of the issue i feel like that's something i could get behind a little bit more Mm -hmm. yeah there's definitely there's definitely a vacuum in who daredevil should fight um because it also feels like because spider-man is avengers adjacent spider-man get for being a street level hero gets a bunch of more higher class villains and it feels like it feels like they don't know what to do with a street level villain. Are the other uh, street level hero? Are the other street level heroes getting the same kind of issues at the time? There aren't other street level heroes. Okay, it's so really we haven't met the Defenders. Spider-Man we haven't Daredevil. met anybody. Okay. Well, because the Defenders in Marvel Comics until 2016 was Doctor Strange, the Hulk, Namor, the Silver Surfer, Valkyrie, Doctor Druid, the Gargoyle. It was like sorcerer. And when Daredevil joins those defenders, he joins them as sort of like the street level guy who gets real weird. What happened, it seems, is that Marvel realized that nobody was using this name Uh and there had been a number of failed iterations of the defenders prior to that. The group that are known as the defenders are probably better known in comics, maybe as the Marvel Knights, K-N-I-G-H-T, which was the branding that was used by Joe Quesada's studio, which repurposed a number of characters for Marvel. That Marvel Knights reinvigoration is what gave us the Kevin Smith era of Daredevil, which is responsible for modern Daredevil being essentially such a success. So the trajectory that led them to being the Defenders just had a different name. It's not that it's particularly disingenuous. Though I would Mm -hmm. point out, Luke Cage has taken the place of the Punisher and Jessica Jones has taken the place of perhaps Black Widow, who was in that original Marvel Knights lineup. So Mm. it's definitely a transformative situation. And I did love your question. I want to point out that we're not far off from major influences like the Black Panther, but Black Panther starts on a world stage. It's a very long time before Black Panther becomes localized to a small location. Okay. All right. So then it's just that they're having difficulty figuring out how to write for a street, for just a street level guy. They're like, well, what's a street, what's a street level villain what's someone where you wouldn't be like i really feel like iron man should be handling this 
<laughs> yeah, and that's even part of the situation. In order to keep Daredevil at villains where you're like, sure, they're bad. And the fact that we spend seven pages of issue number 10 just focusing on these villains, you know, and it's so interesting that it's Wallywood writing because as a writer, I have a lot of people say to me, oh, you're a writer? Let me tell you the story I've got in. And I feel like when that started happening a lot in college, it was, let me tell you this idea I've had. I would probably have more ideas. By the time you get in your 30s, it kind of becomes, let me tell you the one idea I've had since I'm 17 and I just keep rehabbing it over and over again. I'm not saying that Wallywood was devoid of ideas, but specifically these four animal guys, the French guy is a frog, the one who turns tail and winds up having a second life as an informant is Catman. Ape Man essentially behaves as a big muscle while Birdman offers us an opportunity to lift the fight off the ground. I mean, it's a very linear, literal exploration of these physical ideas. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. However, Catman has a great beard. Catman's beard is so fucking <laughs> hot, I can't believe it. <laughs> Every now and then we hit something in the 60s where I'm like, guys, guys, I see why Don Draper now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I also like that they pulled out an EMP for this. I think that's really smart and forward thinking of them. Very forward thinking. Yes. Um, I also dislike that all of their names, like their real names sort of match the animal they're going to be. So their parents really just fucked them over and... I guess Daredevil was just like not was just taking a nap last night. Didn't hear all of these crazy police calls. But that's insane because he hears every fucking thing. He hears what's going on in Tales of Suspense 71. You know what I mean? So I don't know how he's not hearing what's going on in his own fucking mag. But that's neither here nor there. It's a crime wave. And he's just like, woof, I'll have Daredevil will have to look into this after it's already a wave. Okay, the word crime wave in this title <laughs> has come to mean something that the word crime wave has never meant before. The word crime wave means like a lot of crimes are happening. And in Daredevil, the word crime wave is just kind of like a bat signal. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's just like crime wave, time to get Daredevil. And that's all it really means. But there's something so I I don't know the, but it's I also run... called the worst outbreak of lawlessness in the city's history and I'm like Sam I know we haven't lived through the 80s yet but like I can imagine some other things <laughs> no <laughs> little Matt is disapproving here but one of the things that gets me down about this is, is Matt in this two-parter or is Daredevil? So yes, like, let's talk about this now. Let's get this started now because it's going to come up in the next arc of who is Matt? Who, who is, is Matt Daredevil? Who is and Daredevil? Who is the alias? And what is the alias? <laughs> oh, the like... alias is Daredevil. You're right. That one is also who. Who is the alias? <laughs> but is Daredevil? when he's truly himself making Matt Murdock the alias? Is he is he Clark Kent? Is he Bruce Wayne? What is it? Or is the man a fist of justice and the alias is fitting into society? Like, that's something that Matt has trouble with as a hero. That's something Matt has trouble with as a vigilante. That's something Matt has trouble with as a lawyer, as a romantic partner, as a member of his church's congregation, as a son. These are things 
things that Matt struggles with. But what Matt doesn't struggle with is metering out justice, whether it's by fist or by written word through those hands. The I... thing, yeah, he's just the best. <laughs> he is the best. But I also think that like we may have to start looking into the idea of like um, a triad of Matt. That Agreed. there is Matt the super ego, who's the who's the lawyer. There's Matt the id, who is daredevil, and then there's just Matt. And sometimes Matt will have a twin, and we'll get to explore that route. But I think that Matt himself is balanced by these two other sides. And I think to to approach him as a duality underappreciates the man that is also in that struggle. And I think part of that that I really agree with you on is best reflected in something I almost can't handle here. This still isn't my foggy and it makes me think about the foggy <laughs> that I want. And that makes me think about why I like Matt Murdock and why I like Matt Murdock as a brother figure. Mm -hmm. And why, yeah, sometimes him having a brother is a really cool thing for the story because I don't know that I project eroticism onto Foggy and Matt at all times, but I certainly project romantic domestic partnership. There's something to be said about sort of the lost art of the odd couple mm -hmm. and how for many years, if you went to war with someone and came home, it wasn't weird if you and your war buddy bought a house together mm -hmm. and it just suddenly became weird because we began to exist in this very binary you're married or you're not sort of world and it left fewer spaces for less conventional relationships and sort of this idea of non-sexual but even possibly to some extent romantic domestic partners sort of fell by the wayside and I think where I like my Foggy and Matt is Foggy says Matt I'm going to move in with you because I'm a little bit worried about you as uh, you know a busy distracted blind man living in that big empty house you're gonna you're gonna get hurt you're gonna something's gonna happen someone's gonna break in when we all know it's because foggy really needs his big taking care of him 24 7 and that sort of domestic bliss is what i need from that and not yeah. having it here sucks yeah yeah the the threat of homophobia has really ruined the ability for men to have friendship um, I, I agree with that a lot. I feel like I always hate, uh, I used to say this about shows like white collar and, and other things. I was like, I hate when the, my boys are fighting because it makes me very upset. And this is, <clears throat> this is the beginning of that, of the, of foggy as district attorney that we just keep coming oh. back to and coming back to and coming back to. And what's really oh, interesting so is that bad. the reform party wasn't real then, but it is now. So Interesting. in 1995, there was the Ross Perot movement, you may remember from 94 ish. Um, and he wanted to bring reform, blah, 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 blah. And so it was a national movement in 2000. It came to it came to New York after the Independence Party severed ties with the Reform Party. So it used to be that the Independence Party and the Reform Party were together, but just separate parties on the ticket. And then they split. And so then the Reform Party came to New York. It had ballot access from 2015 to 2018, which is pretty shocking. That means they had a decent chunk of people who voted for them. Yeah. Um, their last... <laughs> <laughs> their last main bastion was becoming the stop common core poli uh, political party, which lets you know where they ended up. 
And uh, they actually, Curtis Sliwa, who was most recently the NYC mayor, mayor candidate for the Republicans who lost to Eric Adams, was their 2016 uh, governor uh, thing. And so now it's just one dude. But anyway, the reform party, it's real. Number one, amazing to hear that Jojo Siwa lost governor. Number two. <laughs> Curtis I... Lee was a lot. If you think Eric <laughs> Adams isn't a lot, like Curtis Lee was a lot. I really love that you keep bringing this historical context because what the fuck is the point if you don't have this city that he's here to protect in mind? Right. And building this map of New York as it relates to a socioeconomic picture of elements of the time Daredevil's existed has really helped me to not just further appreciate each story within, but to get a better sense of what Daredevil's fighting for. Because I think this is the first first really political daredevil story and i understand that there are some coponomics to the inherent discussion of superheroics oh yes but daredevil is kind of the first superhero to be like i don't trust cops like <laughs> uh he's the first one to be like cops trust me but daredevil's kind of the first person to be like your city comptroller is secretly touching kids like i mean seriously <laughs> no but and yeah yeah so here it is yeah yeah so that's why this is such a thing is that like because basically what they're trying to say is like this is the third party candidate and they're you know they have a third party candidate and if he's elected then foggy's going to get the New York DA, which I I'm not sure if that's how it works, but it's definitely how it works here. I think the district attorney is also an elected position, but I could be wrong. <laughs> sure. Just, sure, sure. But basically now Foggy's been invited to do this thing and Karen's like, whoa. And then Matt is just like immediate, like shut down. And I'm like, like you, this is, <laughs> this is things my parents do to me, not things my friends do to me. But this is 100% when you're like, mom, dad, I got a new job. I'm so excited. And they're like, great. How much is it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what are your vacation days? Oh, Victoria, you can't be that. That's not, that's inappropriate. And that's <laughs> the problem because he's mm -hmm. not playing that fraternal role. He's playing uh, a sort of humiliating paternal role. Yeah. He's not trying to be Foggy's friend. He's not trying to look out for Foggy. He's trying to, in many ways, protect, protect his self-interest because something mm -hmm. that doesn't get discussed enough is to be a superhero in the Marvel Universe, you must be dynamically selfish. You must be truly self-serving and self-interested. You must have the capacity to run an Instagram and a Twitter like a fucking Kardashian because that is what it takes to maintain a fucking super secret identity. Look at Daredevil. How often is Daredevil just publicly back her I mean, it is... It is, we are, I think like issue 30, we're finally gonna get Daredevil unmasked for the first time. And like, for fuck's sake, like sake. it's just, so, I mean, I understand that we're coming we're coming at this from a world now where secret identities are sort of passe. We kind of giggle about them. <laughs> but I mean, back in the day, like, I mean, nobody knows Iron Man is Tony Stark right now. Um, does anyone think, I guess people know who Namor is, but he doesn't have a second identity. People don't know who Peter Parker is. Like, Except when they do, every now and Except then. Except when they do. But Except like, so yeah. <laughs> so yeah, like this is, I, I can understand why Matt is just like, but what, do you, what about this new third party? What do you know? And I'm just like, 
why don't you give your bro a second to like talk you through it? Because he literally just walked in and was like, I've been chosen. And you were like, what do we know about this? And I think part of the thing where I'm saying you have to be selfish to be a superhero in the Marvel mm-hmm. Universe a lot of the time. Matt is just thinking of it as, oh, Foggy, you've never flown a space jet while blind. So <laughs> you just don't know the real world. But like, but, that, and that's the thing. We haven't been shown that Foggy's like a kind of a just fresh off the off the boat kind of kind of lawyer he's guy. He's not a putz. He knows what he's doing. He's just not a genius like Matt, but like he's solid. He's a solid lawyer. He's a solid lawyer. He's a smart guy. Who is making sure that the storefront stays open? Who do you think signs Karen's paychecks? Who do you think makes sure that the power company doesn't shut off the power when they don't get a client for two weeks? Who goes through the motions of begging and fighting and pleading and finding money and finding clients foggy in order for Matt to be so flawless and foggy to be such a schlub in comparison. Foggy must also be spectacular. And so it makes sense that he could get this job, but it also makes sense that he would never suspect Deb is evil. Let's get into Debra, everybody. Let's get into everything oh my god i looked down and then i looked up and there was just no head in the frame and i was very concerned that we've already lost our head folks um 1965 are we in five now 1965 is not friendly to women who might be considering to be looking at the same man because here's the thing up until now karen hasn't had word one to think about foggy unless he was lying in a hospital bed so why all of a sudden are there little music notes next to her conversation and all of a sudden Karen's face is doing things it has never done before. Karen has always looked like Donna Reed on a magazine cover, just always perfect at a different angle. And sometimes a tear rolls down. I have never seen her look so expression filled before, which is great. But But over the wrong thing. But over the wrong thing. Like he's just like, she is dangling her her half bare torso onto Matt's lap. And then this brunette shows up and it's just like, oh, I've never forgotten you, Foggy. And all of a sudden she's like, how sweet. Thank you, dear. And I'm just like, I am going to stab everyone in the throat. Everyone. It's baffling because for me, reading this, way back in the day I even as a kid reading this in like a Marvel Masterworks or an Essential Daredevil however I first came in contact with that first 20 issues or so Mm -hmm. I remember thinking yeah every animated series ever has taught me she's going to be evil she's going to be evil she's got the dark hair versus the blonde hair and there's only room for one lady she's like walking like Ursula in her little Vanessa legs I'm with Don't Matt. Don't that sea witch's shell. Right? Don't do I'm it, with- Karen. <laughs> I'm with Matt. Like, why did Karen react that way? Like, this is the first time where I'm like, yes, Matt, please have this inner monologue because I too am having it. It feels as though there's a couple of steps being missed. And I think perhaps Wally Wood, as a storyteller, mm. is losing sight of the difference of expression between hard-boiled prose and Sam Spade and... Daredevil fruity comics. And I, I don't think that, you know, Philip Marlowe, this ain't. And 
that's, I think, where things are getting lost. Because yeah. the second half has a beat that I almost can't believe shows up this early. Daredevil loves humiliating people on TV. Yes. Daredevil has this weird fetish for getting his villains to unmask themselves on television. Oh, yeah. He's into he it. it. He's like, he's like, justice needs not be blind. Show up, honey. Um, so yeah, so we then, um, (laughs) finally Matt hears something. Well, takes till page eight. (laughs) And so I will say this, we need to track this. The fact that water helps his radar sense this time around, I believe last time it hindered this time it helps. Absolutely. Um, also I have a lot of concerns for a man who shows up to a place in a tux with his red long johns underneath, and then is going to what put himself back on the boat in what? In what? In what? In a wet suit, maybe. <laughs> oh boy. Um, <laughs> like I was literally like, if I was on this boat, I'd be like, weird. Th- that man's clothes are everywhere, but there's no naked man. That's strange. Why does he's that under- man look like a yeah, he looks like a plate of salty crackers? What's happening? Yeah, yeah. He's underwater for fucking forever without any breathing apparatus. And like <sighs> Like, is he like when he pulls himself back on the boat, like, is he gonna like just find another tuxedo in a bag that Karen brought with her? Hey, Karen, you know how sometimes blind people spontaneously lose all of their clothes while they're wearing them and wake up in a superhero's (laughs) costume and then also need you to give them back their clothes. So you always have to bring a second complete tuxedo for your blind friend when you go on a boat. Yeah. And, me- and meanwhile, she's like, oh, my God, what if he did spill wine on himself? Of course he would need another suit. <laughs> Karen, pick one guy. Get one guy today. <laughs> and the only reason that I am, because I am here for Karen. I am here for Karen Page's sexuality. Yeah. I am here for Karen Page to feel beautiful, amazing, intelligent, mm-hmm. desirable, fascinating, and like the competent, brilliant human she becomes. Mm-hmm. But I am not here for Karen's only two thoughts to be, do I want that one or that one? They're not sandwiched. And so it shouldn't be the only thing she's thinking about. Who could blame her if the only thing she was torn between was like a Monte Cristo or like a really good BLT? But no, it's Daredevil and Foggy, who, you know what, now that I'm thinking about it, are kind of a Monte Cristo and a BLT. In fairness, she's crushing on Matt, Daredevil, and the idea of Foggy with another woman. Okay, that last one made it kind of hot, but it's still a problem. It's a lot of problems. Karen's got, and then also like vaguely in the background is the fact that the Submariner looked really good that one time. And like, also there was this purple dude she was into for a hot second. I, you know what? I'm starting to feel bad for her son because she seems to have 99 man bitch problems. She does. She does. She does. Because she only seems to like guys who are like, you know, man bitches. Like, yes. you know, like, you know, guys. <laughs> Yeah. But again, it was the 60s. Every dude there either lived with their mother or lived in a place where they had a housekeeper and cleaner and cook. So what are you going to do? What are you going to do? I think what we need to do is consider the fact that this does not make sense as two parts. By the end of the first part, I really didn't understand why the organizer was there. And this becomes synonymous with something that Daredevil loves to do, which is the multi-part crime story where like the, the bad guy is in the back 
background for seven issues while the henchmen alternate for a couple of issues. And then at the end, it's all of the henchmen working for the bad guy. And then Ooh. one of the henchmen turns on the bad guy and like it boils out over seven issues. I remember these. <laughs> yeah. I'm wondering if this is just a product of its time where we're not really thinking about serialized storytelling like that. And perhaps this is Wally Wood being really daring and really, you know, first of its kind for Daredevil. But ultimately, I find myself longing for the issue to end. Yeah, yeah. Like, yes, we get a cool schematic of their headquarters where somehow the helicopter hangar is not even on top of the thing. Like, yes, it's kind of interesting to see the whole thing. Page 10 is where we get the clue. Like, it's a whole, like, it's it's interesting. The fights become yes. interesting because they're yes. up in the sky. They're down on the ground. They're in the water. Like, it has like a lot going on with it. I don't think political parties would just keep money in briefcases, but that's a me thing. And I really feel like this is it. it I, I feel like I feel like Stan Lee came to Wallywood came to Stan Lee and said, I want to write this story. And he had all of the um the mat the organizer, because this isn't the mastermind. This is the organizer, the organizer and his four friends. And then um uh uh, Stan Lee was like, oh, but remember, we're a romance title. And Wally Wood was like, oh, okay. And then he was like, but then I, I don't have enough room to tell my whole story. And then Stan Lee was like, fine, we'll make it two issues. But then the craziest thing is on the next issue, Wally Wood is just the inker. He is not the writer. He is not the penciler. He does not do layouts. He is just the inker. And the next issue, they say, oh, new, new, new art is coming. Kind of move on from Wally Wood. It's, you know, Wally Wood is the guy that gave Daredevil a sense of dynamism, a sense mm -hmm. of physical beauty, a sense of visual cunning, you know, like he made us fall in love with this character. And for his final issue to have some of the least Daredevil on page, to have some of the least Matt Murdock on page, to inexplicably, you know what, now that I'm thinking about it, oh my gosh, the guy who did the secondary job wrote a story about how the primary guy couldn't be happy for him getting a chance to to tell the story. Wally Wood wrote a story about Matt Murdock not being happy for Foggy. And then the next issue, Stan Lee takes back over right. I don't like it. Oh, let's not, let's not, let's not, let's, let's keep moving. Let's, let's look at the fact that we still only read the daily news around here because the Daily Bugle is not really yet. And even if it were, <laughs> I wonder if- Black, white, and red all over. Yeah, I wonder if there's some like, oh, but it's the Daily News. Like it makes it sound a little bit more like hard hitting like, because it's a crime wing. And I wonder oh, if no. the Daily I think the, Bugle is silly. I think the Daily Bugle is like your Herald and your Daily News is the little one they shove at you in the subways. Yeah, thank you, Fox, right? Yeah, just like, I hey, you go. these gangsters are giving out newspapers. It's Hell's Kitchen in the 60s. If they're not snapping. <laughs> doing well-organized choreography. <laughs> Gotta give it up for the movie on that one. Um, I just, the fact that Karen on page 15 is just like, do I really care for Foggy after all? And I'm just like, Ugh. And then, of course, we reveal that Deborah's kind of in on this nonsense. And we're all just like, oh, no, we had no idea. 
womp, 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 womp. And then we, we spend, just keep fighting and fighting and I don't know. We, we spend so long setting up the story that the ultimate resolution offers nothing. Yeah. The entire political machinations were done by this Jonas guy. They don't catch him even really because of Daredevil's plan. Yeah. It's really just that he notices the ring mm-hmm. twice. Daredevil poses as Frogman in a way that doesn't add anything. Catman having turned on them doesn't really add anything. I don't have any feelings for Ape Man the way that I find like Ox kind of hot. Like Ox is kind of drawn mm-hmm. with a big hot boxer guy. And like Ape Man is literally a dude in an ape suit. And that's not interesting. Yeah. yeah. You're in you're in silly animal costumes for no good reason. Um, I also feel like I am so fascinated because I feel like these two issues are supposed to kind of give us an idea of how Matt thinks about Foggy and it's not good. No. Like he honestly is like, oh my gosh, Foggy has been through so many disappointments. Uh, He needs to be lied to by a girl to feel better. And I'm just like, you're really making that call? Like that's what you want for your bro? And it's such a manipulative decision on the part of Matt. Matt who of all people should like and I have to wonder how much of this is a, it's sort of like a weird thing that I know that I see in the gay community sometimes from let's go with you know older gays where they're like yeah but give them time they'll come around on it it's no big deal you know if your family doesn't want to call it a marriage and they want to call it a commitment what's the big deal and like it's a lifetime of compromise has taught you to teach compromise and I wonder if a lifetime of Matt feeling like people always treat him like he's stupid Mm. when he's not has made him feel he has a unique vantage on being treated like you're stupid because blind people aren't stupid but by 1960 Mm -hmm. standards they were treated like they didn't know who they were and Matt is kind of treating Foggy like a child yeah 100% and also like when we see them interact on like after after Daredevil has returned Deborah to Foggy like they are like having a full-on argument because Matt comes on too strong Foggy's immediately defensive like everything everything is so wild and then they come up with this like stupid well I bet and I bet and let's come up with a Scooby-Doo plot but like I just I like Karen is being is still being weird about it like like she has she's just like oh no what a giant mess and I'm just like lady this is dangerous stuff happening around this here yeah this is like actual political stuff this is lives being lost mm-hmm. this is crazy stuff involving frog people which one more time that the frog man was French name did you not did you not like that you're really gonna hate the original power rangers and the choices they make well you know i I think what's funny is there's and that's what's okay so let's go for it power rangers is aimed at children and never really in those early mmpr years you know if we go by the zordon era which is you know technically for the great wave so we need to go through season seven so you know count everything through in space and lost galaxy and you know sort of the astronomer running as pink ranger in the next season if we take all of that we can objectively look at it as a children's show designed for children with children in mind if we take a look at some similar programming from 
from around a similar time. If you take a look at Animaniacs by Steven Spielberg, now I know we're talking about two different mediums, but we're going to be talking about children's shows that were programmed onto, you know, Fox Saturday morning cartoons. So when we take a look at Animaniacs, there's the infamous fingerprints joke, which is a joke to say that they're telling Dot to finger the artist formerly known as Prince. There is all of Minerva Mink's nudity behind changing screens. There is the fact that Rita and Runt are literally meant to be a representation of Lamez. The ideas in Animaniacs might have been directed at children, but the show itself was created with adults in mind. It was created such that the silliness and the childhood was loud and brash and colorful and fun. But the artistry belonged to the adulthood. Mm -hmm. This book is pretending to be a hard-boiled adult crime story, but it is playing out with the nuance of a Power Rangers episode. Yeah, yeah. And it is an, it is an inex, you cannot ever write something without knowing your audience. Even if your audience is you, so that you can learn from what you wrote to write mm-hmm. better next time. Mm-hmm. No audience in mind on these two issues whatsoever between two rares. Yeah, I really, I continue to think that they're just like, let's see what genre works best. Like, is this going to have it? Is this going to have it? Is this going to work? Like, I, I I know where we end up, but it's very difficult to watch them go through all of this right now and try to figure out what it's going to be. And... Yeah. <sighs> Like we get we get the cover image again, like when he's fighting the Hawkman. Yep. We get <laughs> we get all of these like false things of who is it? Who's who's the who's the guy? Is it the guy that we have? Is he pre-recording? Like what's going on? And like it's it's convoluted in a fun kind of way, but because the way like the twist is decent, the the setup is not. I agree. It's kind of where I land. It winds up looking like he's fighting the village people at one point Mm -hmm. because there's so much going on and there's so much costumery that the costumery of it, like the plumage and the fur, it winds up feeling a little too Donatella at the Oscars for me and I'm not sure where my eyes are meant to go in some of these sequences. Bobby Powell does a really great job capturing what's so great about Wally Wood's Daredevil and then translating it in a way that Wally mm-hmm. is ink it. And I really love the inks, the colors. You know, this is something we don't talk about enough on this show, but considering that this book is just flats. It's just flats. It's just flats. And yet it's so much fun. It's there just is thought put into flats. It. I know. There's no shading. It's just flats. And that was the industry standard until the mm-hmm. 70s. And then a little more shading. And it wasn't until, you know, digital colors that everybody's like, oh yeah, shadows. <laughs> but like... I'm telling you, for flats, the colors in this book are legendary. Yeah, yeah. They're they're really well thought out. They're really smart. You they really give you the atmosphere. It's all all good things. So highly, highly love that. Also highly love how Matt's like, ooh, real quick, while I'm Daredevil, let me uh tell Foggy he's a good boy. 
Yes. And there's <laughs> something about the elegance of considering for the first time, it's not just what people interested in the other party thinks that matters. We don't just care that Karen has feelings for Daredevil. We also care that Daredevil's not really interested in sustaining a relationship with Karen. Even if he wants to put his billy club in her holster, he is still not eager to maintain a relationship. No. And we don't really talk about that. We just talk about Karen liking Daredevil. Mm -hmm. We don't really talk about how Daredevil treats Foggy. We just talk about the fact that Foggy's like, you hear about this guy? He's amazing. Or so, you hear about this guy? He's the worst. Yeah. This is the first time that there's a sort of awareness of a bigger picture of the interplay of relationships not being a one-sided, one-direction. Yeah. But then there's the ending, and I hate the ending. Uh... I want to give it. I want to give it up for the nearly Marcos Martin levels of Daredevil with the radar sense toward the end of issue eleven. Mm -hmm. It is so good. Those colors are phenomenal with that green opposite on that same page. So you get that beautiful symmetry, which plays us into that yellow and blue. And I think there's something about the Starks of the yellow and the blue with the auburn of Matt's hair and the red of Karen's outfit. I think it's a really excellent visual color symmetry but the fact that we know that he doesn't even stay away that long this is such this is such fake season finale cliffhanger shit i don't even know what to say about 100 i mean it's also this so with something that we skipped over is the fact that this issue is the first one that's going to start going monthly so we're moving oh, off the right. bi-monthly we're moving into the monthly so january you're going to get another one so they're kind of like if we build it up a little maybe they'll get excited um i think this this based on the conversations that they had before you can understand how this one also goes off the rails so quickly but the fact that we only have 200 ish pages of these folks and maybe 30 of them is on the three of them alone like this is very very fast and especially for matt to have such fuck this i'm out energy is very new and very confusing because matt doesn't show anger no. as a rule matt internalizes self-conflict and manifests it as a sort of a manic unreliability Matt manages his anxiety and stress by quickly changing pace. If if he is expected to do something, almost in a chaotic good way, he's going to do something else because it's still protective and helpful, but it's not what he needed to do because doing what's expected of him is currently like choking him to death. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, for it to all be like set off by a cheek kiss from Karen to Foggy, what and the we fuck? just. I know this is this is I mean, when people are like the CW shows are so stupid, they're just constantly like making out with someone out of nowhere. And I'm like, they've been doing it since the 60s, bruh, bruh, <laughs> like like this is what it always is. Someone decides that to be super sweet back for someone, they just give them a little and then all of a sudden everyone's like, whoa, 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 you're not Italian. You can't do that. <laughs> You know, and it's such a dominant force of so much classic comic bookery. Both Warren and Scott had feelings for Gene. Mm -hmm. Both Peter and Warren. Norman. Yeah, Warren. Oh. Yeah, okay. right? I know. Both Peter and Harry. I almost said Norman Osborne. But you know, both <laughs> Peter and Norman had a thing for Gwen. But no, both <laughs> Peter and Harry have a thing for MJ. And Daredevil and Foggy and Matt, I guess, all have a thing for Karen. And you would 
think that in the two-parter, they gave us Deb. We could maybe get away from the shenanigans, but we don't get away from them in the way you expect. Matt going out on his own, it feels a little too close to the, I'm going to go to the European castle and get my eyes poked with a laser. And it feels a little too close to almost Namor in some ways that we're going to see Kazar next. I do not love this two-parter. It's probably the low point of the series for me on the heels of having loved Stiltman so much. Yeah. This really is a bummer. Yeah. It is, it it could be more. I wish it wasn't so silly, weird. And honestly, when Deborah is one of the, is like the second woman to have like real lines in this and she has almost none of them with Karen. And also she's just like a red herring the whole time. And she comes back, right? Like Deborah is, yeah, Deborah's Deborah. Okay, just checking. Cause you know, Matt's got eight wives and you know, I presume Foggy's got six. So um, we'll see more of Deborah, but I'm I'm unimpressed with how we continue to misuse Karen, and I I'm with I you. I think. Her at all. <laughs> And I think um, you're 100% right. Like every three to four issues, they're like, Matt has to go somewhere. He's, we need a change of scenery. We can't keep drawing. Everyone's mad about straight lines. Let's go get some leaves. Well, what do the fans have have to say, Nico? Oh, I was going to say, well, I have to let you know, we're not alone in some of our opinions. Oh, good. Do tell. From the letters page of Daredevil number 10, contained again in the Daredevil omnibus. So I'm Mm. not like pulling out my, I I have some copies of, you know, some 1960s Daredevil, uh, but I don't, I don't touch them because my hands are disgusting and full of oils. In the letters page of Daredevil 10 from Larry Brown in Bay City, Michigan, Dear Stan and Wally, I'm writing this letter in a fit of fear that you guys are going to mess Daredevil up. Oh, well. You made the first step with issue number eight. No, the art was great and the story was very good. My gripe is with Daredevil's cane and headgear for his sensory radar blips. Essentially, this person wrote in to say, Daredevil should get rid of his gadgets. Don't they know anything about toy merchandising? <laughs> Want us to let you in on an inside squabble, Larry? The oh, reply no. Includes, oh, no. Sturdy Stan agrees with you. He is also <laughs> opposed to so much gadgetry. But no. Winsome Wally really digs these hoked up appearances. It's literally full of that many typos. And being Wally's the guy who has to draw them, Stan went along with him. But for we'll three see issues. How the future goes. Jesus Christ, they really were just like threatening Wally Wood this whole time. So then we get to issue 11's letter. Also, wait, number eight, that Stiltman was nine. So eight was... I believe Stiltman was number eight because number nine is Klaus Kruger. Oh, God. Yeah, well, I need you to hold on to everything you hold dear for this letter from Daredevil number 11. (laughs) Hmm. Dear Sam, Bill Warren of Oregon writes. Ugh, West Coasters. Daredevil 9 was rot, not because of the art, which, despite the shift in artists, was fine. Not because of the story, which was all right, except for the bit with the Mad Duke trying to destroy the world. That struck me as a Diablos ex machina, to coin a phrase, 
brought in for no other reason rather than to kill off the eye surgeon. What was wrong with it were Daredevil's out-of-character wisecracks and the extension of his paranormal powers. The wisecracks had been in previous issues, to be sure, but to a thankfully much lesser extent. You now seem to have confused DD's and Spider-Man's characters. With Spidey's, the wisecracks are fine, uh, for they follow his character, but DD should not make them. He is just not that type at all. Please drop them or drastically reduce them in future issues. And the extension of his powers is becoming ludicrous. For instance, how on earth could he possibly tell there was a walled fortress from below him when he was coming down in a jet plane? This could obviously not be by sound, where the jets drown out any sounds that might penetrate through the thoroughly soundproof cabin and his radar sense, which I don't like anyway. The inclusion of it makes him vastly superior to all other heroes. Does not seem like he could penetrate walls either. You should have him make efforts to achieve his goals. Now he is too similar to all others. Before he was something much different and far better. A handicapped man overcoming his handicap with diligent effort. No. Now, no. everything comes much too easily. No. have reached your two peaks in the issue about the Matador and the battle with Submariner. No. You are now at your lowest ebb. <laughs> Please bring DD back to where he belongs at the very top of the comic stack. And uh, you know what? The in their defense, the response is go fuck yourself. <laughs> a little bit, actually. Whew. We feel like we've been spanked. Yeah. But before we start acting on your suggestions, Bill, Ooh. we'll have to wait and see what our other DD disciples have to say. Because judging from our zooming sales, we guess that most of the public is completely hipped on our sightless sensation. So, I mean, I mean, do we have numbers? Because I mean, I guess going monthly is a good sign. That means that like they want they they want more money, so they're going to go for it. So, the official numbers are really hard to come by. The company that is best responsible for those numbers in an available way, Comicron, really doesn't go back before 1984. Um, you can get some year-end numbers on some big sales figures. The other thing that is very difficult is depending on who says the number. Sometimes you hear X-Force number one sold 2 million copies. Sometimes you hear it sold 6 million copies. Sometimes you hear it's 8 million if you include all of the ones shoved in toys. Sometimes you hear that it's X-Men number one that's the bestseller at 2 million certified units. And comic numbers get a little weird. The other thing to consider is comic indexing in modern era is done in terms of a 100 percentage point where 100% of total sales, that month is always reflected by the sales of Batman. The book Batman represents 100% of sales because its sales are so consistent in terms of the overall industry sales. Everything goes up or down in percentage of its expected sales chart position from there. So depending on what numbers you're looking at, sometimes you think you're looking at raw sales, but you're looking at percentages. Sometimes you're looking at market share. It can be a little different, hmm. right? Hmm. Have it, has it gotten better since? Yeah, it's gotten okay. a little bit easier. We're not all measuring it on, you know, percentage points of a Batman comic. Well, no company releases their digital sales is also a thing. Mm. So it makes it much harder to be 
sure. We know the companies are saying, look how well our physical books are doing, but they're also saying, look how hard we're struggling physically. Mm. So it's tricky, you know, also with the pandemic and then shortly thereafter, the paper shortage and the shipment delays, we wound up seeing some pretty major events get a little sideways and some books came out out of order. So I think right now, you know, all said and done, trying to map the history of sales it's one of those things where like, I just want to sit down with a guy that owned a shop and ask him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because it's so hard to know. Yeah. But Tori, we are sitting at the end of Daredevil's first 12. And Ooh, took us done, two years. Yeah, we've done some bonus issues, like some Spider-Mans. Well, a Spider-Man and a panel. And we've done two Fantastic Fours. And we're about to head into what becomes a time-honored Marvel tradition, having your story involve Kazar and the ways in which that dramatically transforms the universe. I mean, he's still appearing in his own books, like Kazar, Lord of the Savage Land, uh, just came out this past year, super terrific book by Zach Thompson. So I know that this guy makes it for another 60 years, but man, this feels like a huge waste of Daredevil's time. Yeah, this is, this is, and it's also very interesting, as we'll find out, this is an important plot point for Kazar. Yeah. Like an, a major plot point. So yeah. fascinating that it happens in Daredevil. Because like it's not that dare, dare oh that was a question I was going to ask Kazar doesn't have his own book he jumps from title to title he does an issue of uh, X-Men then he does two issues of Avengers then he shows up for three issues of Daredevil then two issues of Spider-Man and he gets his story told across everyone else's titles hmm. that's what a lot of characters did when they didn't have their own books they just sort of guest spotted a lot until they found a home mostly they found a home in the Avengers pretty quickly and because Daredevil wasn't a very big seller. It didn't make a lot of sense to have them guest spot in Daredevils a lot. Kazar just, you know, I think because they wanted to do a three-part story, because they wanted to do something with a lot of layers, you don't want to blow three issues of a big title for that, but using three issues of Daredevil, especially when he's just going monthly, that's mm. only like missing one Daredevil because that would have been the February issue. But instead, yeah. it's January, February, March. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. Well, Nico, I continue to be deeply astounded by 1960s Daredevil. Oh, yeah. And we're going to have so many more things to say about the next trio of books. It's a triple header, man. We're going to have to talk about three issues in one hour. I can't wait to see us do it. We're getting so many, so many cat jokes. It's going to be like Gilmore Girls levels of words per minute. It's going to have to be because I can tell that we're, we're, we are long. <laughs> Well, Tori, until we return, man, it is such a pleasure climbing New York City's best skyscrapers with you. And of course, looking out for all the organized crime I can hope has a heart attack. But until next time, I think we have a, a specific command to keep in mind. Oh yeah, everybody. Stay fearless. Stay fearless. <laughs> Hey, 
everybody, welcome back to the Billy Club, the show where we take a look at the adventures of Marvel's Crimson Crusader, starting with his very first adventure back in 1964 and making our way up to today. I'm Nico, and you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And I'm Tori. You can find me on Twitter at Tori underscore Sheehan, on Instagram at SMTori, that's Tori with an I, and you can find this entire podcast on all your socials at The Billy Club Pod. And we could not be more excited because, so Tori, this is episode 12. 12, right Whoa. so if this was like a, a comic series this is the end of the first year if this was a, an annual event you know we'd be coming due on that first volume coming to a close and i am so excited because it's not exactly the issue 12 discussion we maybe thought it would be but <laughs> we have gone through a year of daredevil and then some yeah oh yeah oh yeah we have we have breezed past many many an issue in this one and so now we're about to get another like crossover event with a with a man without a title i guess man without fear and yeah. man without a title <laughs> i love that look at it that's a really great way to think about kazar you know we've talked about it here and there on this and also our partner show x's for a podcast our long-running 300 something episode at this point show where we take a look at all of the adventures of the x-men as well as a vast majority of the marvel universe at this point and we've talked about this extensively on both avenues that early on DC owned the physical publisher that Marvel used so Marvel was limited on the number of titles they could print each month that meant that there were a lot of characters that Marvel really wanted to promote and really wanted to push but they were unable to do so because they lacked the number of physical books mm. now in some cases you had backup stories but at other times like here you had characters like Kazar who would bounce from Marvel book to Marvel book, having been in titles like X-Men around now as well. And you would establish their story in those titles instead. Mm -hmm. Agree. I, I, I'm so, I'm so interested because I could have, it not, not knowing anything going into this, I would have assumed that Kazar had his own title that like the X-Men dropped in on or Daredevil would have dropped, would like drop in on after a couple issues here. But it's just, I, I think that we are coming up on a dare. It's, we left our last episode on a really weird note where Matt was just like, I'm leaving. And we're like, Peace what out. are you, what are you, what are you talking about? Why are you being like this? Why are you being like this? So this definitely feels a little bit like that one season of Angel that sort of ends with them spending three episodes in another world. And so to go meet Lauren's homeland or whatever. So it's, it, yeah, it feels like we're being pulled out of what was building. Mm -hmm. And by changing the venue, you're not just changing the atmosphere and the look of things. You're changing the way certain things feel and certain things hit. If I've been seeing the concrete jungle for the last 11 issues, the way to make me feel about these characters isn't by transporting me to a physical jungle, jungle, jungle. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And I, you know... It's always interesting to put characters into new situations to separate your characters to see how they handle themselves without each other. But I really am not sure how much Karen and Foggy are going to grow without Matt and how much Matt is going to grow away from Karen and Foggy. Especially because this story at no point ever really feels like a Daredevil story. And it's in part because they can't stop tripping over their tropes. And <laughs> I understand some of what
what we're hoping to do with this is continue to appeal to more Daredevil readers or possibly more readers who have not yet picked up Daredevil to either convince these people to stay with the title or to pick it up in the first place. But the cover does nothing to help me understand the contents of this issue. I do understand that the cover has like a piratey vibe to it, but the first page makes apologies for the contents. We're sorry for starting like a soap opera, but hang in there. And, you know, just to jump back a moment, we're of course talking about Daredevil's 12, 13, and 14, which are created by an unbelievable number of major names. So that Big. this, yeah, that this isn't one of the like best arcs of all time is kind of disappointing. We have Stan Lee writing and the first two issues see layouts from Jack Kirby. We then have letters from Sam Rosen. And it's so fucking cool that this is John Romita. Like yeah. John Romita comes on and by the last issue, he is drawing the layouts as well. Of course, his son, John Romita Jr., would go on to become one of the most influential Daredevil artists of all time. It's just super cute. It's so cute. And of course, John Romita isn't really known for Daredevil. John Romita is best known for Spider-Man. Hmm. But that John Romita Jr. got his start on Daredevil. And then John hmm. Romita Jr. became famous. You know, it's a nice balance. And these issues suffer from what feels like Stan Lee resenting letting Wally Wood do that two-part story. I like, yeah. You know, yeah, I feel like he resents it. I hear you. I think it's also... I, I really do think that they are just like spinning the wheel of genres and this is what it landed on this week. And I think yeah. maybe Stan Lee is really likes pirate capers or something to that effect. And so he just like went like all in and it didn't need that. Didn't. I think this could have been no, a two parter. I even think this could have been somebody else's story. I, I think that this should have been a... Well, okay, so who in the Marvel Universe then would you have to help Kazar and his, spoilers, long-lost brother, you know, meet up and get the backstory on Kazar? Who should help that? I don't know that I can think of any specific hero in particular that should, but I know that I'm not getting a lot from Kazar's involvement here mm -hmm. that tells me anything about Daredevil. Mm. I feel like I'm getting a lot about Kazar are and who he is but one of the big tropes that we see in a lot of these kinds of stories is somebody is, has their leg broken and they need to wear a splint or somebody is temporarily blinded and they can't see this could have just as easily been cyclops wearing a blindfold so that he doesn't ask yeah you know, i never understood how scott wearing a blindfold somehow stops his optic blast how did his eyelids like, stop the optic blast well that's because it's biological that's you know his body oh, it's like how you can, you 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 really you could you could try all you want to bite your own finger off but you have to be in a certain point in your survival to do out to do it yeah it's why you can't tickle yourself you know so i i feel like yeah he can't blow off his own eyelids but you know there's a lot of people you could just have oh man captain america landed the hard way and he hit his head and he's temporarily blind because that's a superhero trope mm -hmm. there's nothing about daredevil that needs to be here daredevil's legal knowledge doesn't come into play all we really get from Daredevil here is an awkward look at the world's worst cruise and everything about the setup is weird. Trying to get him there is so difficult. We have this whole thing where he's like, man, I gotta go. I'm gonna stare at the sky. Oh no, I'm late. Time to be Daredevil again. I was just thinking how I should stop being Daredevil. Hmm. No time to think about that while I'm being Daredevil. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's um it's not their best work <laughs> no um, and it yeah. feels very much like they didn't have a whole lot of other ideas and just wanted to make a story quickly yeah it definitely feels like they i guess the kazar x-men episode went really well and well i would say that perhaps one of the things that changes the x-men a little bit is that there are five of them they are inherently going to bring their own unification like mm -hmm. because there's automatically five of them plus the professor plus the other random cutaways that you usually get even if it's a magneto issue i'm sorry even if it's a kazar issue you'll still probably get a magneto cutaway at some point and that will happen you know so you will be informed of the x-men as a title by virtue of the other characters that are inherently going to appear they went out of their way to remove the other characters from daredevil's narrative which sort of takes that opportunity away from us. Yeah, yeah. I think I would have been a lot more interested in how Matt could have handled this if it was him, Karen, and Foggy going on the cruise ship where he's Absolutely. like, I have to try to save us, but they can't see that it's me. And like, it would be super weird for Daredevil to be the fourth person stuck on this island with us who sometimes is around and sometimes I'm around. Because they so out of their way work to make it clear that Matt feels not just alone, mm -hmm. but truly isolated. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, and that isolation would be better served in a presentation of that isolation home or in his home environment by actually taking him out of his home and his home environment. We find ourselves faced with, he is out of his depth. He is out of his element. He is in a strange situation. Of course he feels isolated and lost and confused. That is, to me, one of the biggest failings of this arc. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Matt looks good on page one when we're talking about the soap opera, but, like, it really is. Like, he just... We have this panel where he's thinking about all of all of these people that he knows, and then all of a sudden... And then he has to, like, zip, zip away. And I, I don't know why. It feels like they were like, we need to show him being, like, really good at being Daredevil so that it, like, feels weirder mm. when he's bad at being Daredevil. At, at, at things in the Savage Land. Um, I really get that, yeah. So, I mean, I <laughs> I remembered so much of Kazar from this that in rereading it, all of a sudden they were like, the blunderer! And I was like, fuck this guy. <laughs> yeah. It's not even thinly veiled racism. There's just some outright we're making fun of people to this. And yeah. by those days' standards and those standards were were wrong mm -hmm. you know this was not the worst thing yeah. but there is a point at which he's like forgive the bad dialogue it's a translation of this basically broken tongue yeah and yeah Kizar is constantly like ooh ooh ah ah me ape man and then we actually get a character named Magor the last of the ape men after last two parters the ape man I should not have to have five issues of Daredevil where I'm making excuses for the term ape man in a row. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not pretty. It's not, it's not good. And it's also, it's so, 
it's so frustrating. I spent a lot of this issue also being very much like I was under the impression that Skull Island was a strictly like King Kong thing. Yeah, I guess because it's such a generic name. It's just Skull Island. You know, it's not specifically a place. And perhaps there are other like, you know, there's Femur Archipelago and there's Patella Peninsula. So because there's like other things, you can't have Skull Island all for yourself. But it does feel a little usagey. It feels a little usagey. It feels like they took a lot of these like prehistoric tropes from the 40s and 50s where like you appear in a different world and the dinosaurs are there and the ape men are there, whatever, and just sort of smashed them all together and went, okay, that'll do. And it's sort of like Tarzan, but not really. Yeah, that feels like a pretty fair estimation, which is frustrating because I find myself so without much to say about this three-parter, to be really honest. Yeah. Ultimately, the narrative is that Daredevil goes on a cruise. The cruise is being hijacked by the plunderer, who turns out to be Kazar's brother. Kazar and the plunderer don't really understand much about how it all happened, though the plunderer does seem to have a bit more spotty knowledge to use than Kazar's total lack of knowledge. We discover his name is actually Kevin Plunder, Kazar that is, and they are trying to get to this ancient treasure and then it turns out there's a member of the waitstaff named Feepers who Feepers. has just been waiting his whole life. Creeper Feepers. <laughs> yeah. Who he was then left for dead, but he's not left for dead, but he's got a whole bunch of these cronies on his side. It's such a poorly thought out arc. It might even be reminiscent of many things in its genre. Yeah, but it feels arc- like a Tom Swift novel. Yeah, and it doesn't really hit the points it needs to hit for Daredevil. I find myself kind of annoyed at how often it's just sort of awkward racism and, you know, me ape man, me Kazar, me uncivilized. Like, it's not okay. And it doesn't add anything to Daredevil's narrative. Like, I almost wish you could pull out all of the Daredevil pages. This is the cultural other side of the coin that is Namor's visit to New York City, where... um, the the cultural issues that they have with Kazar and the cultural issues that they have with Namor are the same. It's just that Namor has the ability to tell you that he thinks he's better than you and Kazar does not. Yeah. And what's interesting is in many ways, Namor is, I guess, and I don't love the phraseology here, but less Caucasian than Kazar is. Yes. You know, Namor is less white features, white skin tone, whereas Kazar is very Nordic. Yes. But the way Namor is written, Namor has a sense of superiority that would normally belong to a person who has felt entitlement their whole life, where which is oftentimes a bit more synonymous with white characters, whereas Kazar a little bit more has traits of an immigrant's story. He doesn't speak the language. He can't get people to understand, even though this is his land. 
man, mm-hmm. he's being invaded. Mm-hmm. So I guess this is a bit more of the cultural hallmarks of an invader's story. Yeah. Kazar is, of course, not unintelligent. Look at his survival ability. It's that he is so looked down upon by these people. Namor is definitely the old trope of the proud, uh, the proud foreigner uh, prince who needs to be taught that he's that he's still lesser than us. And then Kazar is very much the it's the prodigal son. It's yeah. the you may you may not realize it, but you're one of us. And so that's the difference between their two kind of the two ways that we approach these two different cultures trying to clash with with daredevils. I also just want to apologize briefly for all of the headphone fidgeting. Unfortunately, my headphones are having a moment. So that's definitely uh, leading me to- You've got headphones. I've got birds. It's all going well. (laughs) Matt's radar sense would be going crazy right now. Oh my God. Again, they disabled his radar sense for several pages. They did. What's the fucking point? I honestly would have wanted that to continue for a lot longer. Honestly. Yes. I think it would have worked a lot better if it had stayed down a lot longer. Um, I- I, I feel like one of the most interesting like plot-wise and character-wise moments of this is while he's thinking before he leaves about like how do I abandon Daredevil? He's so much of me. Um, but it, you know, people will never gosh darn it. It's a pirate story, so now I have a bird. Um, yeah, I mean they hear their, they hear their people. So hi, Shadow. Um, just gonna anyway um i'm so sorry this is horrific (laughs) no you know what don't don't it's fine so anyway so matt is lying to everyone so like that's the main point here is that matt if you you should leave because you are lying to everyone and it's not good and i also believe very firmly that matt's ability to just go on this fucking trip and say fuck off is very much a hallmark of the fact that he's um made of money and you will never convince me otherwise and it's a huge element of how these stories work going forward. Mm-hmm. I know that financial troubles are something that plague the offices of Nelson and Murdoch quite frequently, mm-hmm. but Matt's ability to get them out of trouble comes yes. up almost as much as the trouble itself. And at the end of the day, mm-hmm. all of the Kazar and Plunderer stuff has nothing to do with Daredevil or Matt Murdoch. And of the, you know, 72 pages mm-hmm. that constitutes these three issues, I would say we have 10 pages of consequence about Daredevil and they're at the beginning and they're at the end and there's one page of Foggy and Karen in the middle and that page even kind of bugs. Oh my God, yes. The constant like, I miss Matt, but it's so much better that he's not here because now I get to think about banging this gal that we're both in love with without like fear of consequence. It's absolutely ridiculous. Um, I have a question actually. This ore that they keep talking about, is it vibranium? I have to assume, you know, it vibrates one of the th- and stuff. One of the things that Marvel Comics didn't have early on was mm-hmm. codified specific terminology for things. Now we have vibranium, adamantium. We know there are the infinity stones. Sometimes they're the infinity gems. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, a thousand Satans, but now it's Mephisto and it's all different depictions of him. Mm-hmm. Or it's lesser demons that are mm-hmm. pretending to be him. So over time, we got a lot of these terms sort of codified and made clear, Mm -hmm. but initially... It could have been that it was meant to be vibranium or just any sort of general ore. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, you're not wrong. Like, I don't have a whole lot of notes on this because everything is just so 
basic, like everything is kind of frustrating to, to listen to yeah. and be a part of. And um, I don't, I, we can talk about the Foggy and Karen panel. I feel like Foggy 100% needs to realize there are other girls in Manhattan. No, there aren't. There aren't. <laughs> there are no other girls in Manhattan. Forget that Deborah NPCs chick that only. you saw before. Like, don't worry about it. There's just Karen. It's just her. Just Karen. Just Karen. Just Karen. Like, you cannot tell me that there is not another lady for fifth, you know, on the island that would be half as useful as Karen. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> he won't go away. <laughs> so, no, I mean, you know what? I love it because, and I keep being like, I'm going to cut it. I'm going to cut it. But you know what? <laughs> if it deters people from checking out these Kazar issues, you know, I honestly don't have a whole lot more I even want to say on them. Here's At my the question. The day, I just feel like. Matt was done a disservice by being the guy in Kazar's origin. Yeah, and I, but like, um, there is a part of me though that feels like, I, I mean, you tell me that there's like some Savage Land series going on right now, and like all of this kinds of stuff, and we have, um, Sh Sheila the She Devil and stuff. Shanna like the She Devil, Shanna. Kazar's wife. Yeah. Yeah. Uh oh, the other one's running free. Um, so, <laughs> um, to me, like, if they make like an omnibus of Kazar, the fact that you can showcase a little bit of daredevil inside of it is exciting it also means that maybe kazar yeah. could show up in daredevil the tv series is like yeah. i think kazar himself is interesting i think that just because this is I, if this was a kazar title that daredevil guest starred on i think we'd have a lot fewer issues with it i agree i very yeah. agree and they have done omnibus editions like that that are a little bit every book mm -hmm. to build a narrative. And Marvel has definitely made some much weaker connections to put characters in things that you wouldn't consider along the lines of putting Kazar in Daredevil when that's not a great bit. So yeah, ultimately, if this had been a Kazar three-issue story or two-issue story or a Kazar annual and Daredevil was in it, mm -hmm. I would have had, you know, what are the, th we had a much easier time talking about the Fantastic Four story because, you know, it just really wasn't a Daredevil story, but Daredevil was in it and it was nice to talk about. Here, this is a Daredevil story, but Daredevil's not really in it. And that's no. not nice to talk about. No. And I honestly think that a lot of those like early early panels where he is like flipping around and stuff is sort of to help the reader feel like, oh, well, we did have a bunch of panels of Daredevil yeah. being Daredevil, you know? So. Absolutely. I just. Although I don't want to even be critical of a, of a king and master of his industry, but the Jack Kirby layouts in those first few issues were huge, fat, and clunky. They were huge panels of people doing really big action so that they didn't have to go in and make smaller detailed panels, which usually means story things. And I felt very much that it wasn't until the third issue where John Romita was doing his own layouts that the book really looked right yeah and even then that third issue is boring as hell it's boring as hell i wish that like the plunderer was less over the top and that i yeah, guess a little Kazar, less and i guess that czar was a little more nuanced because i feel like outside the fact that zabu 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 yep zabu um is 
absolutely the best thing that's ever happened. Um, I am a little like, this is just such broad strokes. It's like, oh, dad was rich. Oh, he gave us two halves of the same medallion. Oh, he, um, and then he took my brother and left. And it's just, it's not the best like thing where he's just like, I want this back so that I can be rich and crazy and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, right. why are you like this? Why is this what you're doing? Like, do how it, does this enhance the story or your character? Do we ever see the plunderer again? I believe we do from time to time. Mm. I don't know that Daredevil does, mm. but he exists within the like within right. the Kazar. He's important verse. to Kazar. Yeah. How long until from now until when we get like how long does it take Kazar to get his own series at this point? You know, he has his own series off and on. Um, yeah, I think he's had five or six volumes, but it's usually like nine issues, seven issues, thirteen issues. I think mm -hmm. he had one longer running series at 30 mm -hmm. something but Kazar is not a power seller yeah which is why I think it's so interesting that they chose to spend three issues of Daredevil on Kazar like was I this supposed was to be a launch like a backdoor pilot for Kazar because like well, I he was already appearing in other books before this I think he was meant to be like a Johnny Weissmuller Tarzan character mm. from back in the days when that was still a little bit more a thing like Tarzan was still a little bit more a thing in the 60s yeah true so I think that's what he was meant to be. And I, yeah, I am positive. It's all backdoor pilots. Yeah. If a person doesn't have their own book, it's all backdoor pilots all the way down. Yeah. 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 I don't know. I'm kind of bummed out. Uh, there was nothing great in the letters pages for any of these. It was all mm -hmm. very letter response. This is not the best moment for Daredevil. You know, ultimately we get a character that's a little bit more in line with Daredevil next month. Yeah. It, it's a little bit more standard fare. Yeah. This for being three issues, it's one of our shortest discussions so far. It really is. I mean, the only thing, like, the plunderer gets his crazy stupid outfit, like, there's the British cops are fucking idiots, like, just like, to the point of silliness. Like this- Kazar jumps out of the courtroom. Yeah. Like, I think my question is like, I know that the last time that we went to a castle, you were like, this is just a Victor Von Doom stand in. So it makes me wonder like, what sh what else could this villain have been if this wasn't the plunderer? Like, is this really to get Kazar, we needed to have the plunderer? Is this like, what, what? Oh man, I have a lot of questions about what they thought they were going to get out of this, to be honest. I think, I think it's blending two action franchises it's pirates and it's mm, jungle yeah and i think they thought that they were creating a doom in the plunderer mm. and i think they thought they were creating a balanced equal to mm. kazar and that that I, I thought that I think they thought this was a little bit more 1966 current, a little bit more still making beach monster movies where mm. this stuff flew a little better with the masses, let alone comic readers. Yes, yes, I agree. Um, I dislike the I I like the courtroom drama of it. I mean, a very handsome big man being brought in in chains is wild to me. Um, yeah. But the reunion of this trio is the strangest, much like the, I guess, dis dissolution of this, of the, of this trio three, three issues ago, like the, him just being like, I hoped you'd say you'd take me back. Cause now I've, we've both gotten wiser in the past few months, months. 
I guess it was that kind of cruise. I mean, how, like, it seems like they got on and then they got attacked. And then, like, you're telling me that we had, like, months of plundering? Plundering? I guess. You know, and it's one of those things, like, the, the sliding scale of reality. Because so many arcs of a comic take place in 48 hours, mm-hmm. then that 48 hours was eight issues over eight months. So has it only been 48 hours for this book? You get sort of like a, a proration on time. This is definitely before they understood how to do that. And yeah. this clunks. Oh, everything about this clunks. Everything about this is all right, let's get them back together kind of thing. Like there was no, nothing Nothing was gained between the three of them to make it so that uh, going apart was worth it. Yeah, it really feels like they said, we're going to do three issues of Kazar here. Yeah, Matt doesn't learn and, it that much about himself. Karen and Foggy yeah. and Matt don't learn too much about like what it's like to be apart from each other. It's just, it's just a dud and it's a shame. It's a real shame. I have to wonder if this has to do with the fact that Daredevil went from monthly here to uh, two monthly from bi-monthly. So they wound up with two extra issues to do. And I wonder if they thought that's part of what they were doing here. Yeah. Yeah. Like now that we're monthly, maybe we can do like longer drawn out stories kind of deals. Nope. Nope. They cannot, or they haven't figured it out quite yet. They're still genre hopping. They're still doing all the nonsense. I'm hoping that this more introspective Matt is going to continue, but I imagine it probably won't pop back up again for like five or six issues. Or it'll be this exact same form of introspective. It'll be like word for word, the same dialogue every time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, Well, (laughs) they can't all be winners. They can't all be winners. No, I guess some of them got to be plunderers. Yeah, it's true. I can't well, think of anything else to do but to to call it a call it a crimson crusading kind of day, folks. This is shadow. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess yeah. The real star of this episode was was the bird. So. <laughs> Like none of these pirates have birds. I don't yeah, know. and it's it's bits of pirate stuff. It's bits of jungle stuff. It's bits of superhero stuff. It's bits of adventure stuff. But it's not enough of anything for the flavor to take hold. Yeah, exactly. Like it's just it's it's all very boring. It's all by the numbers. You can see where this is going. Like the the most shocking part of this is that Karen and Foggy got a telegram to go to London. Like yeah, where I was like, oh, okay. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Billy Club, where we take a look at the adventures of Marvel's Wait, but we're not going to be looking at any comics no, today. We're no, going to be no, looking no. at shows. Shows and, and maybe like semi-miniseries movie events, right? Like wow. some kind of thing. So yes. I am, of course, Nico. You guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And I'm Tori Sheehan. You can find me on Twitter at Tori underscore Sheehan and on Instagram at SMTori. That's Tori with an I, as these lovely words are saying. Uh, you can also find us at The Billy Club Pod on all your socials. And we are over the fucking moon today to talk about what we're here to talk about. So, you know, we're doing this holistic look at 
at Daredevil starting way back in the way back machine. And it's it's really been exciting because my first comics ever were The Man Without Fear 1 through 5 by John Romita Jr. and Frank Miller. And I'm so excited that someday we're inherently going to talk about those comics. But Tori, it really wasn't until this weekend that I felt like someone finally said the way she got into Daredevil matters again. Yes. Yes, because at, at, at good old San Diego Comic-Con, they decided to throw a little Daredevil into the She-Hulk teaser. And I just, there's a yellow suit, Nico. Your favorite suit is back. My favorite suit, uh, you know, it's not it's not the best suit, but it's 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 my suit. It's the one that I'm clearly the most attached to by far. Uh, I, it's I, you know, it's there's something about the fact that so many superheroes wear yellow in a way that I really like. You know, sometimes I think about the fact that Sinestro kind of looks like Charlie Brown, and I see how yellow can go horribly wrong on a superhero. But these little glimpses we have from the She-Hulk trailer, you know, I think about the fact that yellow suit daredevil is yellow in a way that maybe isn't attractive by today's standards but like i'm really seeing some things here that look right yeah it's definitely that darker golden yellow that we've been talking about liking a lot it feels dirty it feels heavy it feels it feels like a brawler and i and i'm very excited about that And, you know, it's so cool because something we've always said is that, like, the mystique of Daredevil maybe a little bit lies in the fact that he's not the most masculine character. He's not, like, the maleest male. Don't get me wrong. I love that he's, you know, a hot super dude, but there's something so feminine about a lot of the portrayal of his character and how many of the women in his life are, like, strong like a man. And so having him return to Marvel television through She-Hulk has my heart. Yeah. Because if there's anyone who's strong like man, it's She-Hulk. Yeah, and she really... Okay, not to be that guy about this trailer, but this was literally my favorite Marvel TV trailer of all time. It's so, so good. It's so, so exciting. As someone who doesn't know that much about She-Hulk, um, I was really interested in what's in what we're going to get through this. It is such a beautiful show, and it shows the powerful dynamic of what, like, sort of Daredevil and She-Hulk both represent the opposite spectrum of. Something that's really interesting is the way that people often compare She-Hulk to Deadpool or Howard the Duck for their ability to break the fourth wall. Oh, that's what I saw that. And she does, yeah, and she does it in the trailer, and it made me so happy, and then... Uh, I really like that element of her character a lot, so I was really concerned that might be lacking here uh, in a world where the concern is usually driving up the Deadpool engagement, but I feel like there's so many things that this is such an important moment for, like, women in Marvel. I just, I just, I'm so here for it. So can you walk me through a little bit of, like, when She-Hulk met Daredevil, when Matt met our lovely attorney at law? So that's a really great question, and I wish I had specific dates and numbers for you. What I will say that I, I can tell you is I want to start a little bit further, a little bit further back on the way back machine, and I want to start in good old like 1978, 1979, 1980, and uh, a guy named Stan Lee decides he's going to do just one more thing at Marvel. I mean, I don't think he ever thought he was really leaving, but he does the Savage She-Hulk number one. 
and the Savage She-Hulk number one. It introduces us to She-Hulk. And one of the great things about She-Hulk is that she maybe starts a little bit like Savage and a little bit like me, angry, me, punch stuff. But she ultimately becomes a hyper-intelligent, complicated, nuanced person as She-Hulk. Now, don't get me wrong. A lot of writers bounce back and forth on that. And you can find out a little bit more about that on this show's partner program, X is for Podcast, where on Fridays we've been taking a deep dive into Jason Aaron's Avengers lore, which involves a lot of She-Hulk for sure. But we get the overwhelming sense that She-Hulk should be fun. And because She-Hulk is the fun lawyer and Matt is the drowning in darkness lawyer, they've met up through the years, but it always kind of involves somebody's story not quite being them, like that time Ally McBeal and the practice met. Um, I see. Yeah. And, you know, they're both sort of like whenever Avengers. You know, She-Hulk has been on the team since 2018 uh, pretty steadily. She currently has a miniseries, which is very exciting. And I am always a big fan of the character. Uh, She's had a pretty tumultuous publishing history. One of the mistakes they frequently make is they try and make her her cousin. Ah, that's a tough one. Because he already exists. And we don't, I don't know, like, I don't need even what Hulk represents in a lot of ways. Like, to be on, oh, that's such terrific She-Hulk. I want to say that that's from the Charles Sewell and Javier Polito sort of era Mm -hmm. of uh, She-Hulk. And it was such a great time because Matt was already coming back in this really exciting way under Mark Wade's pen. Shortly after this, Charles Sewell would write Daredevil. So it makes, you know, a lot of sense that a lawyer who wrote Daredevil would also write She-Hulk. So there's a lot of interplay on these two characters. Mm-hmm. Nice. I'm just, I'm just so excited. I'm hoping that we get Charlie Cox as the lawyer as well as the man in red. You know, I'm hoping to see more more legal drama between them. Oh, yeah. I just think it's going to be a really great time. And I think one of the things that I'm most excited for is I feel like we have had shows about women in Marvel and we've had shows about superheroes at Marvel, but I don't really know that I've gotten the female superhero experience from Marvel yet. I've gotten a number of movies. Hawkeye was really about both Hawkeyes. But for me, I want the female superhero experience, not the female experience the superhero experience and you don't really get that balance it just still feels like until this women have been treated some class on marvel tv yeah it's hard because like jessica jones never really got the the spandexy moment yeah and everyone else is sort of already the superhero by the time we meet them truly truly and you know i don't know that agents of shield doesn't count as canon i'm not here to qualify another program you know what i mean but i will say that the questionable or at least dubious nature of its current canon standings affect how i see the treatment of daisy's story uh you know it was really hard for me to come around on sky being daisy that was uh, a really hard thing for me at the time but if she hulk can come do on a lot of the promise that Marvel women have always held in potential. Mm-hmm. I'll be really positive on the experience. Yeah. yeah, I'm excited to see what this builds with, what what Ms. Marvel does. Like, I'm excited for the next gen of all of them. Oh, it's a little She-Hulk! Look it's the current gen. Mm. So... You know, this wasn't the only major announcement we got at SDCC. 
And I thought one of the things that made the kind of quality of the She-Hulk announcement maybe a little bit less exceptional was just before the She-Hulk announcement, uh, a day or two earlier, we had gotten an announcement that Charlie Cox would be returning to Marvel in some capacity, but in the form of Daredevil in Spider-Man freshman year. Yes, yes. I'm so fascinated by this because I sort of forgot that we were getting it. And yeah. forgot that we're finally that we're finally getting the Spider-Man origin story of Tom Holland. And uh, yeah, I just I'm so excited that we get that we get a Daredevil in a very interesting suit. Yeah, this is a little bit Shadowlandsier. This is a little bit more DG Chichester and Scotty McDaniel's in 1993 doing Over the Edge. This is a little bit more post fall from grace meets Shadowland meets the Charles Sewell era. You know, I'm no fan of putting him in black. I prefer putting him in yellow. So I do oh, love the girl. Simpsons coloration on his face here. <laughs> I'm just so fascinated though, because this would be taking place between the end of the daredevil series and before we see him in the Spider-Man movies. So like, he goes through, he's going to go from the man in black, then he goes to red, then he goes to this, and then he goes to yellow. Yeah, because, you know, the events of Daredevil, if all things being what they are, if the events of Daredevil take place where the events of Daredevil take place, they take place shortly after the events of Avengers, the film. But Tommy Holly's Spidey doesn't start swinging the underoos until Civil War, which follows Age of Ultron. So, you know, one of the things that uh, producer extraordinaire Kevo points out is that they've said that in the show, Norman Osborn is going to be Peter's mentor, and our Tommy Holly had no relationship with Crazy Army when he appeared in No Way Home, so... Yeah, there's you know no what? Osborn in Tommy Holly land. No. In Tommy Hollywood, we don't have Osborns. We have... Star- um Starks, yeah. Okay. We have you know, Starks I, and we have Pims, but we don't have Fantastics. I'm a little concerned that this means we're not getting a, a Daredevil animated series ever in the course of our lifetimes. They could spin off. I'd hope. You know, I, I'm a little... We have one more major announcement to get to, and when we get to it, I'll have a lot of feelings on it, <laughs> but... Uh, and good ones, good ones. But I have some concerns that, like, you know, we never really got that Daredevil animated uh, video game sequence thing that we should have gotten from, uh, you know, there was going to be a GBA game. And so we should have gotten, like, some, like, little animations to play in the game, little VGA screen stuff, mm-hmm. you know. But, like, the idea that you just compared Stark and Osborn is really exemplified in the image on the screen where we see Norman interacting as Tony. So if this is an alternate universe. I would like to think it's one of the ones that will maybe come into play with all of the multiversity that's going on. Do we think that this kind of Spider-Man slash Daredevil world is going to connect to the uh, multi into the into the Spider-Verse world? I hope. And, you know, part of what makes me really excited is if you take a look at the villains, a lot of the villains are um, schlocky. You know, they're they're not your carnages. They're not your major uh, our producer extraordinaire. They're, you know, don't get me wrong, Doc Ock, Lizard. These are names. These are, you know, legitimate characters. Got some chameleon in there, I guess. But, you know, for me, I'm really focusing on the fact that this 
feels spidey ageless in an exciting way and it doesn't feel like it's trying to cover what the films might cover so that gives me hope that this could be an opportunity to introduce these characters so that these characters could appear in spider-verse and we don't have to worry about oh well these won't appear in spider-verse because they'll save that one for the mcu right exactly Hmm. Hmm. Lots to think about there. Lots to think about. I also just want to say that I love that the art looks like Daria. I I really, really love that because it captures some of the teenage humor. It really gives me, I mean, like, not to be too specific, but I mean, I see Jane, I see Jody, I see Mac, I see a lot of characters. Uh, But I do need to give it up for the fact that Amadeus Cho is there and... I am well regarded for my love of Amadeus Cho and a certain young man who contributes to XI for P, who may just happen to be everyone's famous little Amadeus Chojo. So you guys should all definitely check out some of the amazing coverage we've done of Amadeus Cho and a number of these characters on this page over in the world of X's for Podcast. I also just want to say how great it is to see so many Black Panther characters on the screen. It really says that you know, Wakanda forever isn't the end. And that makes me very excited. Yeah. Super amped, super amped about that. So um, Nico, what else happened at San Diego Comic-Con this weekend? What else was announced? Uh, What I thought was the plot of Daredevil season three, but I guess not, Uh, you know, (laughs) okay. I thought this already happened, but I guess not. Mm. So, uh, Senor Chuck Cox comes out and we find out we're getting this motherfucker. Daredevil Born Again is being produced by Marvel Studios for Disney+. Plus. It's going to uh, run in 2024 and it's going to contain 18 episodes. Which is which, huge. That's like so almost, many more than the fucking comic. It's almost double than what the other uh, episode, series have been getting. And if you stretch every issue that you could kind of throw into Born Again into it, it's like nine issues at the most. So this whole idea that we're getting an 18-episode run of Born Again makes me think that this is going to be more than just Born Again. I'm hoping for some Born Again with some Electra Assassin, with some Daredevil Love and War, with some Anne Nascenti, with... So, I mean, I, I can't stop. Like, I want all the things. Um, I, want, I want Typhoid Mary to come in and blow our brains out. Uh, like, oh, <sighs> not that Mary wasn't good in Iron Fist, but that was not my typhoid. Yeah. Um, I have some interesting feelings about the fact that they've only announced two returning cast members. Might be that they haven't locked anybody else in yet. And that's um, what I'm hoping for. Because not to say, but to say... I'm not so sure, besides maybe Rosario Dawson, that the others are doing something so important that they couldn't take a little time timesy offsy to come do this. But and yeah, a thousand percent. So, but I would love to have them all back personally. I would love it if it really followed the like kind of through line of what Born Again could represent, where we could just see all the other heroes from the Defenders. You know, where Matt has disappeared, Iron Fist is filling in. And by Iron Fist, of course, I mean Colleen Wing. So I want to see this clever exploration of what Born Again could be. But at the moment, we only have Vincent D'Onofrio and 
Charlie Cox locked in. And considering those are the two actors that have already appeared in the MCU, I'm going to be keeping my eyes out for Foggy and for Karen to appear in She-Hulk in Echo. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's right, because it's highly possible he may show up in Echo, too. You know, knowing that Echo was originally a Daredevil character, you know, she made her first appearance in Daredevil Volume 2, Number 9, I think. And that's, of course, the David Mack arc, which uh, runs an unbelievable amount of time. It's like 10 issues that takes like three years to come out. And that kind of, you know, it was just nonstop delays. And he's a painter and he does a lot of covers. And when you, and I don't mean this about anybody, but like that's one of the things about boutique runs when you're like, oh, we've put this amazing person on this book and no one will ever, oh my God. You have to remember that that's still David Mack, number one most in-demand cover painter. That's still David Mack, guy who's got his own series Kabuki. And he makes all the money off of a copy of Kabuki, not just what you pay him to do Daredevil pages. So, and it was, I think, his first major work ever. I believe the legend is, like, somebody brought him in and showed Joe Quesada his thesis from art school, which was his comic Kabuki, and it got him the job, like, so young, so new. He would ultimately go on to contribute repeatedly to Daredevil over the years, but it definitely was a thing where Daredevil lost a lot of steam because of that. And I'm a little concerned, parallel, that there could be some lost steam in regard to this Disney Plus series. It'll have been like five years between seasons of Daredevil, and I just don't know how many people really, you know, are going to make the leap from one show about the same thing. And it's like when I think about Echo, right, and how long it took for her story to come out, sometimes I'm worried that my precious Maya didn't make it big the way I wanted her to because of how delayed that story was. I would agree. I will say that the Daredevil fans have been vocal but smart for a very long time about this. And I feel like a lot of their pressure has made it so that people are like, all right, like, let's let's do this thing, you know, a thousand percent. You know, I think it helps that Vincent D'Onofrio and Charlie Cox are very interested in these characters and really want to see them go places and um, are making the time for this. Um, so to me, it's, it's, it's a culmination of everything that fans have been asking for and begging for. And I'm really interested to see what they do with 18 episodes, which is basically almost a real season. And that's not yeah. something that we've seen out of the Disney plus Marvel series as yet. And, um, I'll be interested to see if they break it up. Like it'll be six, you get six episodes and then a couple weeks off and then six episodes and a couple weeks off. Like if we get a couple of arcs. Um, but I really, I, I think that if this goes well, we could see more longer seasons come for projects. We could see more, um, from the defenders line. I think a lot of people would be interested in more Jessica Jones. Um, so I, especially, I would be very interested to see how much of the current run of, uh, Daredevil and whatever they're calling the arc right now where Fisk lost the mayorship and it's happening right now and my brain is literally falling apart. Uh, Devil's Reign. Devil's Reign. Yeah. To see if how much that influences. You know, Devil's Reign really changed everything for, I hope, good. Uh, you know, there's some other stuff going on parallel where, like, the Punisher is now, like, an actual supervillain mm-hmm. and, like, 
actually works for the the death cult of the hand actually serves the beast as his dark messenger like that the beast it like they're doing some crazy stuff and Elektra and Daredevil are both Daredevil now so you've got this duel and like everybody recognizes that that is Elektra Daredevil and like she's a little bit more violent than he is and she has these really cool changes to what you might expect from her where she's blunted her blades and now uses like billy club ropes coming out of the center of her size so she won't use lethal force and they've done so many things that make daredevil in the comics brave and bold and i have to wonder how much of that is so that the tv shows have these brave bold new ideas to source from Mm -hmm. i'd be very interested to see that i also i have this niggling thought that the term that we may not actually get born again that it Mm -hmm. might just be a reference to it coming back and that we're going to get maybe tinges of it or things but that maybe is going mixed, to be yeah. a lot almost almost negligible how much they're going to put a born again into it because they already did it i mean they already did it and i am of the mindset that uh, secret origins and identities have become kind of passe i don't yeah. really think that's where stories are at anymore and when they are it's because they're trying to protect a child but the last thing we need is a lawyer getting violent justice at night on the streets. Like, that's why Punisher is bad, because cops shouldn't just go out beating people. Lawyers shouldn't either, even if lawyers tend to be on fewer steroids. And that's, I think, a major shift that we're going to need to see. And it's because of the success of Daredevil, the TV show, that we're even able to have these conversations. Because for years, Daredevil was a dying thing. I mean, oh, yeah. I, I would tell you all the time, and I'm like, I don't know why everybody's so interested in it all of a sudden. It was just me and three other people on the internet. And I'm so thrilled that everyone is so interested in Daredevil all of a sudden. But like, I would hear people say stuff like, there's no bad run of Daredevil. I have a few thoughts. (laughs) But, like, at the same time, like, I think it's really interesting. The first time that we tried to launch this, it was right when they announced the omnibus of the old stuff. And now that we're actually doing it, they're like, wait, 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 let's give you some actual footage with the yellow suit. And I'm just like, oh, see, this is why I wanted to do this, Nico. This is why I didn't want to start with Frank Miller. (sighs) Yeah, (laughs) and you're right. You were right. And I'll say this much. You know, I never thought I'd see the day where I would get the yellow suit and I would get it with She-Hulk and I would get this real sense that we are, there's an optimism, right? And I don't think you're wrong about what you're saying, but like they don't have another omnibus scheduled except reprints of the Miller stuff right now. And I think that has to do with Born Again, the name and knowing they can sell it. Um, but and also I, a lot of that stuff is not, should not be printed ever again. Uh, and I I think what we're going to get is when Born Again runs, we'll get Daredevil Volume 2. And I think that this is a change moment. I don't think that with all the other announcements they made that they're just going to leave Daredevil to languish. I think he's going to show up in fucking Secret Wars. I think he's going to show up in fucking Kang the Moot Kang. Kang, my love. Kang.com. Kang.com Kang. forward slash Cassie Lang. If, <laughs> if you need somebody to help you. With with figuring out like uh, what am I good at like audio software Kang maybe I'm is that here. all you're good at 
Uh, I don't know, but I don't want Does Kang to get any violent song? ideas. Oh, Kang, song. I'm sure needs a theme song. And I'm sure it's just like, Kang, Kang, conquered your face. And that's the whole song. Um, I'm not like a huge Kang fanboy, but the idea that Kang is going to come and destroy the universe by by unhinging time. Um, you know, you can ask producer Kevo when they were like, it's going to be Thanos. I was like, boo, Kang. I want <laughs> Kang. Boo. And so I've been waiting since the end of Avengers 1 for Kang. I, I've been waiting for this for like a decade. I mean, they—they're giving it to you. They're giving it to you all over. And I—I I couldn't be more excited because part of it is I think there's things that we can kind of eliminate from stories. I don't think we really need the Beyonder to play the same role the Beyonder played in Secret Wars. I think we can kind of update that. We can even do the Hickman Secret Wars from much later, which runs right around the Charles Sewell Daredevil sort of. So, um, you know, for me, I think that these films are going to feature Charlie Cox. I think we're going to see the big D's up on the screen. And I would really like to think that we're going to see it with uh, a D and an E. I would like to think that Electra's going to come back. I think Deborah Allen Wall was perfect. I mean, you and I would literally sob over how much we fell in love with Karen. And nobody could be Deborah Allen Wall, but Deborah Allen Wall. No offense to any number of brilliant actresses who deserve roles and could bring something to a project, but she was Karen, man. Yeah, she brought such light and such joy and such depth to a character who was going through the paces of what can only be described as 60s bullshit in the comics and so i think it's just it it would be a shame to have it without her but i also understand that there are many 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 years of daredevil without karen yeah i just don't think we're gonna get natasha um so I there's, do need. There's, well, there's what four other fiancés? Heather, Mila. Um, what about that know. cute DA he was seeing for a while? Okay, Kirsten, she can she can come DM me. She can come DA me anytime she needs. She just slides <laughs> in my DMs. She is like one of the hottest comic book characters ever created, bar none. Yeah. Uh, woof. And then okay, this is the only way Foggy's ever been likable. This is true. This is very, very true. It's deeply upsetting to go back to the comics once you've had this Foggy. So my big question is, I don't believe you should recast Stick. I don't believe you should recast Foggy or or just about anybody. And as much as Ben Eric is one of my all-time favorite characters, the performance we got was so flawless, Ben should not come back either. Uh, You could introduce Phil. I mean, you could introduce Phil Eric, but I don't want them to recast Ben in any way. Um, And of course, we got to get our owl back. Oh my God, he was so perfect. My concern is, is Elodie Young not being Greek or Japanese? Such that Electra could be made more palatable to the culture she frequently showcases an understanding of, or the culture that she is truly of, is Elodie Young being French Cambodian, which is a, a minority that deserves to be showcased, just not right for Daredevil as Electra. I mean, she was perfect as Electra. I mean, perfect, perfect, perfect. And when people didn't get her performance, I understood it because Electra is such a multifaceted diamond. It's just what angle are you looking at the light from? Mm-hmm. But I, I, what do you think? Because I feel like you're a lot more in touch on these things than I am often. I know that it's a lot harder for people to point fingers at racial, uh, at, 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 at whitewashing or incorrect casting when it's a person who is also of color. And I think, I think it really does depend on how much they push that she's supposed to be Greek or that she's supposed to be, uh, or that she should have Japanese roots. Um, 
it's one of those things that because it's now you know 2020s and 2010s that like there could be French Cambodians who live in Greece. Yeah, who just like, I mean, moved they, there when they were young. Especially because you know Elodie Young's actual life story is that she is a, a French Cambodian refugee from the revolution. So you know, yeah. truly, that's a really spectacular point. And I, I hope that Marvel doesn't recast her. That story never got finished the way it was supposed to, and it was such a great story, and she did such a terrific job. I I'm gonna miss some characters who don't really have a way to come back. The only actor I would pass on, and I mean no disrespect, is that was such an underrealized bullseye. I'm not here to I'm not here to fuck with it. <laughs> we'll never get the bullseye of our dreams. I just want Lester to be gay and need Matt and Okay, but what if we get Murdoch? I would trade like any one of my toes you pick for Mike Murdoch. <laughs> Because I'm already setting up that I'm going to date Kang. So Kang is just going to put the toe back. So take whichever one you want. Knock hey, yourself Kang. out. Right? So, <laughs> Tori, I want to thank you for, for seeing why I was like, I think we need to talk SDCC. Oh, yeah. No, S- we had to. DCC. Oh. <laughs> and thank you for bringing all the knowledge. And to Kevo for putting all this together, like, in a hot second. Over, like, over an hour. It's so terrific. I'm so grateful. And the big the big question for me is, what project has you the most anxious? Anxious, like excited or anxious? Like, ready for it. Yeah. Oh, ready like, for it? I'm, I'm, okay. When it comes to Daredevil, it's Born Again. When it same. comes to, of the three that we discussed, it's She-Hulk. She-Hulk! I'm like... <laughs> oh, <not> sorry. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. Sorry, not so sorry. Excited. I know I'm not going to probably not going to see Charlie Cox's arms in She-Hulk, but... But, I'm with you. I've had my Daredevil moments, and I'm so excited for more, but I'm also so much more ready for a woman to fucking bring it down. Yes, yes. Well, until we return to the world of the Billy Club and 616 proper with Daredevil's, like, 16, 17, 18, 19, which features Spider-Man, no less. Hmm... Tori, where can everybody find you on the interwebs? They can find me on Twitter at Tori underscore Sheehan and on Instagram at SMTori. That's Tori with an I, as you can see. Nico, where can they find you? You guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. You can also find me all over X's for Podcast, where Tori has made a number of incredible appearances, as well as our phenomenal producer, Kevo. You guys can find that over on Twitter and Instagram at X's for Podcast, as well as at xsforpodcast.com. Additionally, you guys can check out my original work, along with this awesome, this awesome lady and uh, the amazing producer that we have and our uh, art partner, Taryn, over at Kid Riot Comics and my original work in the Young Men in Love anthology recently released, which features incredible industry greats like Joe Glass, Anthony Oliveris, Terry Bloss, Cena Grace. I'm so lucky. Covered by Kevin Wada. Oof. Oof, right? And until we return to Hell's Kitchen Skyline, everybody, you know what you got to do? Stay fearless. Stay fearless. We almost had it! We had it! We almost had it! We got 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 it